Welcome, welcome to the Sharp Way. Another amazing Monday evening. I'm here again, 8 to 10, two glorious hours, the most important hours of your week. Yes, you must listen to all two hours. That are, That is the rules. And I am very happy. I have tonight an amazing guest, a woman who I've known for a bit now. When I met her when I was running for governor of New York State. She is a personal friend of mine running for the tough district of New York 22, a congressional um, uh, candidate. Uh, former congressperson, former uh, assembly person, right? Is that correct? That's, that's correct. The one, the only, Claudia Tenney. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, so, you much so much for coming. You are in a tough district. It is not as, you know, most people think of congressional districts as being totally gerrymandered. It's all red or all blue. And that's all. You don't have that. Well, it's interesting that people like to say they're all gerrymandered, but mm-hmm. in New York State, uh, it's a little different because back in 2012, when we went through redistricting or reapportionment, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, a federal judge determined the congressional lines because the Senate and the Assembly couldn't agree. So a federal judge determined the lines. It wasn't done by a political organization, technically, mm. either the, the Democrats or the Republicans. So actually, the district isn't that bad. It, it's certainly not as bad as the assembly district that I represented, which was is now the 101st Assembly District. So if you ever want to take a look at that, that's seven counties, one town wide, and longer mm. than my congressional district, even though there's only 134,000 people in Assembly District 101, and there's over 700,000 people in the congressional district, which basically starts, you know, on the on the edge of Lake Ontario and goes all the way to the Pennsylvania border, right in the center and the heart of central New York. So you made a switch. You 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 moved from assembly to Congress. Yep. What made you make that shift? Well, part of it was the district. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I mean, I went from this uh, being in the min- minority in the assembly. It was about 108 to 42 when I was in the state assembly, which means we had 108 Democrats to 42 Republicans. I'm a Republican. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult to get anything done in the assembly on the Republican side, at least at the time. Of course, the Senate was controlled by the Republicans, and it is not now. Right. Uh, but that was from 2011 and t- through 2016. And I was just frustrated with dealing with the assembly. It just seemed like a hopeless cause. I mean, mm-hmm. there was never really any significant legislation passed in our house by Republicans since, you ready, 1974. I believe it. I'm not shocked. So, yep. And the Democrats were really just not interested in what we had to say or what our views were, somewhat. I mean, mm-hmm. it was all just you know very anecdotal. Oh, I got a Republican on my bill, but it wasn't really serious because- So it was almost like saying, look, I have one, so now I'm bipartisan. Yeah, I'm, it right. was all, yeah, bipartisan just gets thrown around like a right. buzzword when it's really not bipartisan. It, you know, you throw people on your bills. What I used to do is totally take my name off a bill and find a like-minded Democrat to carry my bill so I could get it passed. Ah, smart move. So yeah, I mean, there's no pride and ownership in the assembly back then. But part of the reason is I, you know, I felt that I could do uh, uh, more in Congress, more to help my region. It was Mm -hmm. a very hopeless cause in some ways in the, in the New York state side, especially with Governor Cuomo at the top and the way that we that were turning. Changed. Yeah, thank you for running. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just very difficult situation. So I got to Congress and a very, very difficult path for me always. I mm-hmm. mean, I had never been endorsed even by the Republicans 
as a candidate for office. My local Republican county did not endorse me before a primary. Uh, and I got elected in 2016 in a very tough year. I had a three-way sure. primary uh, where both of my opponents outspent me. The one had three million, one had three hundred thousand. I had mostly my own money, mm-hmm. uh, about two hundred thousand dollars. But I was able to win. I then ran against two sort of both claimed to be billionaires, but I think they weren't billionaires. But they were pretty. They could have been self-funding. They spent another 16 or 13 or 15 million on the race. And I was just drowned in a wash in negative ads. And mm-hmm. I just had a, a trouble competing, but I've always been independent, an independent business owner. And I, I, I got in kind so of on tell the me about your business. Trump wave. You know, that's sure. how I got in. Absolutely. Well, that well, was kind of the rebellion wave, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I got in under, under that. It was a three-way race, but uh, Trump won our district. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Trump won it by 15 points and Hillary, or I mean, uh, Hillary, what am I saying? Uh, Romney had only won that same district by one point, mm. so it was a, it was interesting. You know, it was the t- first time I probably anyone in our region not getting endorsed was going to win well, on it, a major it, party line. It's funny you say that. I'll do a, a quick side yeah. story if I could. Yeah. Um, that is the when there was a picture when I was running, someone sent me a picture. It was a picture of a guy outside of his house, and outside of his house were four uh, banners. Right, one was the Confederate rebel flag. The next was the yellow don't try to me snake flag, the, the Gadsden, Gadsden flag, flag right? Yeah. The next was a Trump 2020 flag. And the next was a Larry Sharp for governor flag all along the same house. And people say, how in the world is that even possible, right? How does that even work? And I said, each of those in that person's mind is a symbol of rebellion. That's how in that person's mind he squares all those as the same. Right. Rebellion, 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 rebellion. I just don't want What's happening? I remember my media chief when I ran, I got him from the Bernie bros. He he ran uh, Veterans for Bernie. And he came to me because it wasn't like he understood Bernie's policies, but he just wanted a rebel. And he saw Bernie as a rebel. And when the Democrats screwed Bernie out of, out, out of the nomination in 2016, he was like, I just want a rebel. So he came to me because I was the rebel. So he just went for the rebel. And how so many, about a third of the Bernie bros in 2016 actually voted for Trump in 2016 once uh, Bernie left. Right. Independent voters. I mean, that's a lot of what they were. They they are rebel voters. And uh, and people don't uh, see all those symbols the same way that they might see them in other areas. But it it is interesting. Like Bernie Sanders actually won the primary in 2016 against Hillary Clinton in my district, NY22 in upstate Mm. New York, which surprises a lot of people but i actually have a lot of democratic friends who voted for bernie mm-hmm. and then ended up voting for trump you know they didn't want socialism but they certainly didn't want corruption which is hillary clinton right yeah no no doubt i mean whether someone likes hillary or not they would always say the same thing she she is literally the establishment candidate i mean there's establishment there's yeah. there's no one more establishment than she is right i mean so if right. you're anti-establishment you're going to be anti-hillary for sure and bernie is not the establishment well now he's more the establishment now i think yeah right he's well, become more of it now well but he, he is kind of the establishment and he's been elected to office and been in the establishment as an elected official for how many years he sure many sure. many i don't, I don't know how many years yeah. 30 anyway right absolutely so, so, by the way, if you want to join the program, sorry, please uh, pick up the phone. Give us a call. 573-427-5463. Give us a buzz. I, I got off topic, but tell me about – I know you're an entrepreneur. Tell me about your business, please. Uh, great. Well, first of all, I was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I practiced law. I became a mm-hmm. partner in my law firm after just a few years. And uh, our family business was a newspaper and a mm-hmm. printing company. So uh, when I – 
I let my father got sick. He was a Supreme Court justice. We used, he used to come to New York City a lot, do cases here sure. all over the state. He was thirty five. He served thirty five years, and uh, I was a lawyer. Worked. I did everything. You know, from family court to uh, commercial real estate, residential real estate, estates, uh, landlord tenant. I did everything. All the junk in our firm that I had to do to try to make money in a little town of Utica, New York, mm-hmm. which is, you know, was always struggling. Is that where so, you spent most of your time in the Utica area? Well, I actually live across the street from the house I grew up in, which is Look at New that. Hartford, but it's like basically my mailing address is Utica. It's like mm-hmm. Utica, I could probably hit a golf golf ball into Utica. Got it. Okay. So, uh, so it's right there. So our family was, you know, like grew up there, still there. Uh, so we... When uh, my dad got really sick, I ended up taking over our family business at the time, which is in the 90s, late 90s. I left my firm, had kind of gone on my own, and then I just took over the the newspaper business. And mm-hmm. we had kind of like a, a we had a long time, uh, long time running weekly newspaper called the Mid York Weekly. It was in the Madison uh, County area, and then we kind of expanded it. We had some shoppers and penny savers, and I kind of converted them all into one mm-hmm. because I wanted to make an alternative newspaper. Did you because... actually stop practicing to do this? Yes. Oh, okay. Mostly. So... Mostly. Wow. Okay. I still had clients. I kept, you know, a few uh, that for just because there were some that just they were hard to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you kind of grandfathered them in. Yeah, I kind of, okay. and I did it when I could. You know, okay. I kept my license going. Didn't want to totally get out of it because okay. I think it's it's useful in the end. If something ever happens, I can always practice law. Sure. But uh, a lot of business law. But so what I did is I just kind of made it a, a, an independent newspaper because I know something long before Trump said fake news. I could see the news media was not telling the truth, even on a local level. Mm-hmm. Our daily newspaper, uh, either they were maliciously trying to support the establishment. Mm-hmm. They claimed they weren't, but they were never really reporting what I thought was the news. And I would go to these ev- events, like I'd go to the, the the town board meetings, the village meetings, the county meetings. I'd run around all over and try to get all the So, the, so the you were being a reporter, I too. I was a reporter, publisher, mm-hmm. editor. I used to d- design the ads, sell the ads, did everything everything. Wow. I mean, we had to. It's small business. You sure. got to do it all. Absolutely. And so I did all that and I learned a lot. And I used to try to get stu- student interns, like kids coming out of college and they'd come over and I go, this is before cell phones were as adaptable as they mm-hmm. are now. It's in the late 90s, early early 2000s. I just say, here's a camera. Here's a pad. Go get me a story. Go mm-hmm. down to cover the county ledge. Go to the city meetings. And, the, and that's basically, I had a bunch of college kids who got a great opportunity to learn how to be reporters. It, ha- it was fun. So, but it was always, you know, constant turmoil. Absolutely. So, so how does someone who's running a, a newspaper decide, you know what the answer is? Politics. Uh, how, how does that happen? Well, that didn't just happen. So I was interested. Our newspaper, I could see the writing on the wall. Sure. I could see newspaper. Like I could see uh, one of the things that we relied on our classified advertising. Sure. We even had like the singles advertising. Sure. You know, we took those ads. We had a lot of the inserts that you put in the newspaper. We were trying to be really innovative. We didn't just sit on the shelf like a right. newspaper. We went to direct mail because mm-hmm. we realized direct mail was the best vehicle for our customers mm-hmm. to get past a lot of those national national chain stores, you know, whether it was the big box stores, right. to get directly to people because mm-hmm. mail was a proven entity, which is I'm a huge postal advocate. I think uh, postal, you know, I think we need to preserve the post office, continue to make it efficient, but I don't think it's a constitutionally uh, created uh, mm-hmm. entity, just Part like the of Department of Defense. Absolutely. So I'm a big postal fan. So we went direct mail and it really helped us with our customers. But I could also see the writing on the wall as eBay and mm-hmm. a lot of these companies started getting involved. I could see our classifieds going down and we really were 
trying to find a way that we could deal with our surviving. And I would start selling to politicians, anyone, you sure. know, when you oh, got to yes. sell and you got to feed the, your, your payroll and, and you have a lot of people working for you and a lot of families, you know, I'm trying to make payroll. I'm trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to cut costs. I'm trying to keep the business going. Uh, I do, we did whatever we could, but then I could see that was probably the best solution. My dad passed away. Mm. Um, even though he wasn't in the business, my mother was nervous about where we were going, and we were in a good, pretty good place, so we decided to sell it. Oh, nice. Okay. And so we sold in 2004 the newspaper division, and we kept our printing division, which we still have today. But it was tough. I mean, I didn't really want to do that, but in the process of doing that, I ended up going and working for a member of the assembly who said, hey, you sold me a bunch of advertising. You did a good job. <laughs> sure. You know, you helped me with my message, and mm-hmm. you know, I did it all. I like, kind of crafted their message. Mm-hmm. I Use my I know, expertise. I sell ads myself. I did, the same I did thing. it all. I had yes. to figure out, it's like anything I could do to sell, you know, hey, you know, you maybe ought to say this or yep. you ought to do that. Or I you used ought to, to, back in the day, I used to sell ads for WOR radio. Oh, yeah. I'm here in New York City. And I used to write the ads. And once in a while, I'd do the ads here or there. All, yes, I know exactly. Going oh, I used to write the ads up. I used to try to do <laughs> create. I did some great ads, I thought, but I other people didn't appreciate them as much as I did, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, you learn the hard way. Sure. But, so I started working. I worked part time for uh, an assemblyman who was currently who was in office at the time. And when he retired, I was he just said, "Oh, you should run for my seat." This oh, was in two thousand ten. So I ran for uh, the New York State Assembly in two thousand ten, and uh, you know the Republican establishment didn't like me because honestly, in my newspaper, I tried to tell the truth about both sides. Mm-hmm. I didn't take. I tried to my function, I thought my grandfather founded this newspaper, was to try to be the really be the fourth estate, to really be Mm -hmm. the watchdog of government, not the lapdog, which is what the news tend to do. Make sure to hold our politicians accountable, whether they're Republican or Democrat. And quite honestly, in my region, they were mostly Republican. Mm -hmm. And so probably they they were like, hey, you can't can't be criticizing us Republicans. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you're not actually doing your job but you know i criticized everybody equally but we gave them all a fair shot whether they wanted to write letters or do editorials or and so you know it came time for for me to run and uh of course it wasn't my turn you Mm -hmm. know in our area the musical chairs stopped and there was no chair i took somebody's chair Mm -hmm. so there was no chair for me (laughs) and you know the, the political musical chairs and uh, I ended up defeating our, uh, actually, our Republican county chairman to win my seat in the state assembly. So it was a tough battle. And then, of course, I we had redistricting in 2012, and then they created this crazy district to try to get rid of me. I mean, I started in New Hartford, and my constituents were all the way down in Orange County. Wow, sure, you know, seven, sure. If you look at my district, it's 101. Go look up uh, online. You can see Assembly District 101, New York. It's it's insane. Right. It's, I think, the longest district ever created. And that was intended to get rid of me, but I fought hard. I w- went door to door. I tried to continue to tell the truth, and you well, know, we prevailed. That, and then I, I, I ended see. up just like, literally, it was just costing me so much money to do this district. Yeah. Because what people don't understand, when you're in the state assembly you get reimbursed for your mileage to and from albany one time during a session week but when i have to go drive to delhi otsego orange ulster sullivan county every single day all that mileage and and gas in those days was about three or four dollars a gallon 
All of that I had to pay for myself. And because I was such a minority member as, as in the Assembly as a Republican, it's very hard to raise any money because the lobbyists give all the money to the Democrats. I and so know I had the to raise you know, as I crossed New York State yeah, in 2018. You see what it is. Yes. I mean, I was spending I get it completely. six, seven hundred dollars a month just on gas, just Absolutely. to just to get to my constituents to serve them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was, you know, people don't understand things are different. And that was before they all gave themselves a nice pay raise and changed everything around. It was Absolutely. when it was things were different. But that's so. how I got into politics in this kind of it really wasn't like something i'd always wanted to do i wasn't sure. one of those people that always wanted to but and by the way i was almost 50 years old so when you had been around a block once or uh, twice. yeah i wasn't like some uh, I, I i remember somebody said oh she's a career politician i'm like how am i a career politician when i i had a career as a lawyer uh i was uh ran our newspaper family business which i still am involved in very much so now but the print side you're saying the, yeah, well, the newspaper, then we sold it, and then I continue to keep our, our news, our, the rest of our entities, which mm-hmm. are our family business. So it's like, it's funny, you know, I still really passionately believe in helping our small business community. They're the heart of our country, the so, heart of our job creators. So hold on, this is great. I wanted, you just yeah. brought something that I wanted to bring up anyway, yeah. so let's talk about that now. How in the world does a congressperson help small businesses? I mean, that's that's actually hard, because, right, how do you help someone as one of 435 people, how are you able to, to help, right? I mean, as a if you're a local mayor, right, if, yeah. uh, if you're a local city council, it seems easier for you to hands-on help a small business out. But how does someone, when you're one of 435, in this case, literally going, you know, hundreds of miles to D.C., how do you help the small business person? Well, the biggest thing that we can do is not have local governments do everything. The biggest thing that we can do is cut taxes, cut unnecessary regulations, treat everyone equally, give everyone the same opportunity to be an entrepreneur and be successful. All this cronyism and huge government spending to help, you know, our uh, to help out your competitors or whoever you're, you're, you're involved with in your business sector, whatever it is. It's about giving, clearing the path, getting government out of the way and giving people a chance, making sure government does what it's supposed to do, provide safety, uh, provide making sure that everybody in the marketplace and all the actors are, are following the l- rules, but make sure everybody we've got lower taxes, lower regulations. I mean, reasonable regulations and uh, yeah, <laughs> minimize regulations. I got it. We brought a business entrepreneur with me here, so she knows. <laughs> but uh, people don't realize. I mean, this is why it was so passionate to me. Like I would watch these politicians when I was a business owner, and when I had our printing company, one of the things. This is an example of what I used to. I'd have salespeople come and they go, we want to sell you this great piece of equipment. It's a press. It's called a quad stack. You can do top quality four color for your your business people that you're selling to that with your uh, whether it's uh, printable items, whether it's items that are going to go in the newspaper, you can put your newspaper out, it'll be beautiful. And I was thinking, yeah, how can we do this? I need to get uh, find a way that I can get some help, maybe some people to come work in our business. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd go talk to politicians. They're like, ah, oh, you know, basically we don't have any interest in you because you're too small. All the time. They always want to deal That's with just the, the bit. They want the yes. big fat cats who they are going to give Amazon a bunch of money. They want to come in and they yep. don't care about the local business around them. Right. It's, so, it's common. So I was struggling with that. And one of the things that really bothered me, that, like really, like I don't think people realize like as a small business owner, how much it impacts a small business owner when you're competing in the marketplace and all of a sudden government comes in and helps your competitor Mm -hmm. with money and says, we're going to take care of your competitor. And that actually happened to me. I was running our newspaper. We put this huge investment to go direct mail into, for example, my town, Mm -hmm. which was like New Hartford, New York. And 
we had like 11,000 direct mail pieces into this. And the reason I'm telling you this is what happened. The local government decided there was another newspaper that was the so-called New Hartford paper. And they weren't direct mailed, but they were only reaching about 7,000 people. So they decided to give them a grant and extra money so they could reach the 11,000 that I was already reaching. Wow. And I was like, this is a subsidy. I'm yes, already paying. Absolutely. I'm already paying for this. Where's your money? Why are you, where's my money? Why <laughs> exactly, are you giving yes. money to them? Absolutely. And that's when I, it was my first realization of how harmful it is when government takes taxpayer money and helps out a competitor over another. And I fought this thing tooth and nail and I didn't win, but we had to fight to be better because sure. meanwhile, my competitor got to have all this great, uh, you know, great yeah. subsidies from government. So that's so, one of the first things I realized was like, I was so like, that's this is one unfair. of your big things is, yeah. is reducing regulation to, to allow the small business owner to survive. Right. Better. But also stopping government from interfering in the marketplace and giving advantages to one over another. Like, you know, we, you talked to, you mentioned Amazon. Mm -hmm. Why are we giving taxpayer money to Amazon? I completely agree. I'm glad we didn't do it. Yeah. Why are we I'm giving money? We Make Amazon should come in. We should roll back on needless regulations and Amazon sure should can... pay to come to us. Exactly. There's literally eight and a half million people in this city, 16 million people in the metro area. New York City is a mecca for talent, particularly female talent. There's so much awesome talent here. You want talent? You want cool people to work here? You should pay paying us. You should pay us to come here. Absolutely. Otherwise, what do we do? So well, well, I want to grab a call if I can. All right, great. Uh, let me grab a call if I could. We're going to grab some from New York. This People here from all over the, the country, but we'll, we'll do a New Yorker. This is Danny. How are you, Danny? Hi, Larry. How are you doing? What's going on, brother? I'm listening to the show. You and Claudia talking. Uh, <clears throat> just wanted to call in and talk to you, ask you guys about the uh, the Democrats right now. Okay. The 2020 race. You mean the presidential race? Yes. And, yeah. and local, because I know Claudia is running for um, for uh, 22nd yep. district. You're running against Brandisi, um, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brandisi is, is her competitor in uh, in her race. Just Claudia, just know I'm not a fan of Brindisi. Where are you from? Are the we 20th to... congressional district. Or 20th. Okay. okay. Yep. So Tonko is my representative. Okay. Tax and Tonko right now. Um. So, anyways, what, so what's your question, brother? Tell me. So the presidential race. Okay. Do you do you guys think it's an, it's obviously apparent the establishment is screwing Bernie again? In my view, yes. Now I don't have proof of this, but it looks like it to me. Why does a why do a bunch of them all of a sudden decide to stop right before Super Tuesday and support Biden? And then why does Warren, the only one who would take votes away from Bernie, not drop? It seemed like the perfect storm. Now, is it possible it's coincidence? It's possible, but I don't think it's realistic. I think the, they actually wanted to make sure. That Bernie did not do well um, in uh, on uh, Super Tuesday, and I think that was purposely done for Biden to to take a leap and all of a sudden become the uh, the front runner. I think it's exactly what I was talking about before. I think the establishment wants Biden to be the nominee. I know, Claudia, you think I'm wrong? I think you're right. I, it does seem like the establishment got in the way. The coincidence of everybody dropping out to make sure Biden could get over the top, and then coincidentally. We're saying this. <laughs> yes. Elizabeth Warren doesn't get out. Who's the person absorbing all those votes that could have gone to Bernie mm -hmm. for Bernie to win? And then I thought it was interesting. I don't I saw this on Twitter, so I didn't I, I saw the clip. It was hard to see. But Amy Klobuchar or Senator Klobuchar was at an event and she sort of said made it imply that 
she's glad to join the Biden ticket. Mm-hmm. So was she promised a vice presidential? <laughs> Not that? a bad deal. If I'm Biden, I would I wouldn't mind doing that. But I'd make that deal. But she was kind of crying. It looked like when she said, "She goes and I'm suspending my campaign mm-hmm. to support." Joe Biden. And I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it looked like she didn't look very happy about that. Uh, or maybe she was just emotional. I don't know. But look, if Democrats want to win the Midwest, Klobuchar is not a bad VP pick. No, not a bad pick. And she's a, a woman. She's a woman. Absolutely. She's younger yeah. than Biden. So yeah. not a bad deal. So anyway, Every, Danny. Did, everybody's younger than Biden. That's also true. Yes. Everyone's. <laughs> that's true. Everyone's younger oh my than God. Biden. Trump's sure. the youngest <laughs> yes. guy running. That's right. Yes. Trump's a spring chicken. <laughs> yes. So um, did I answer your question, Danny? Yes. Did you have something else you want to bring up? Well, yeah, I just wanted to add to the conversation. So I think that um, if Biden or Sanders get the nomination, the they have to fit their narrative identity politics. And I think it's going to have to be a female and a woman of color, because that's the way I think the left is pushing the narrative for the party right now. So you think it's like Kamala Harris or someone like that? Absolutely, because she comes out and endorses him to, uh, yesterday, and then you see Jesse Jackson endorse Sanders. So obviously, oh, yeah, there's right. some yeah, there's a rift between the, mm-hmm. the the left and then the so-called political establishment for the Democrats. Okay, and um, maybe I, I just think you know, look, if if Bernie's gonna stand a chance, he's got to attack Biden on everything should be aggressive, not fucking call him his friend. Well, tomorrow's going to be the issue, right? Tomorrow's Super Tuesday too, right? So if uh, if Bernie yeah. gets his derriere handed to him, that might be the end of him. But if Bernie wins, well, different ball game. Different ball game. Yeah, absolutely. with Elizabeth Warren out. What, what are the Super Tuesday states tomorrow? I don't know. It's like, I think nine tomorrow. Michigan, right? Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Idaho, and Washington oh, State. okay. Danny uh-huh. is not playing games. He did his homework. He did. Thank <laughs> he did you. Homework, yes. Well, yeah, because absolutely. Because absolutely. if Biden sweeps, it's pre- it's over for Bernie. That's true. Yeah, if yeah. Biden sweeps, it, it is the ball game's over. It's true. Yeah, he's got to walk away. Very true. Um. So, so you wanted to talk about but, other um, Democrats too, or was that the only one? No, no, because um, I was gonna talk to ask Claudia about um, her race locally and how Please. she's making um, groundwork. How's the campaign going? It's, it's going well. ClaudiaForCongress.com, by the way. There we go. Larry Claudia has advised me to make sure I say it another Absolutely. time. ClaudiaForCongress.com if you uh, want to help us out. Whenever you find call out on my about show, us, I want you to pump yourself, so please do it. Yes. Yeah, I think it's going really Absolutely. well. Uh, I think that we are, uh, I think that the issue of impeachment is big in my district. Mm-hmm. It might be really popular mm-hmm. here, but it's not popular in a Trump district where I am, uh, where Trump, again, anti-establishment, kind of independent looking guy. Uh, people still like uh, like him. I think he's he's polling very well in my district, even higher than he is the rest of the the nation. And that impeachment, I think, is going to be a ball and chain for Brindisi, though it may they're trying to minimize it and it, he's trying to get away from it. As he get even as we get closer to November and and memories fade a little bit, I still think it's a ball and chain when you try to say, oh yeah, I'm I work with the president, but you know you voted to impeach him. And by the way. The important factor here is that people need to understand something. Let's just be brutally honest. Impeachment has been a very lucrative business for the Democrats. They made a fortune mm-hmm. off of impeachment. They, I think a lot of them, and I, this is my theory on Brindisi, why would you vote for impeachment in a district that supports the president? Even now, a district that's doing well because of the tax cuts, a district that's doing well because of the, the regulations uh, 
being reduced that are unnecessary. Why would you vote for that? Well, number one, you want to make a lot of money so you can smear your opponent, which is really helpful, and to build a really strong uh, team so you can go out and, and really overwhelm like they did last time. They had so much money. And secondly, I think for a guy like Brindisi, who is actually one of the lo- most left-wing members of the state assembly, he was actually tied with the most left-wing members from New York City. He's not some moderate, as he likes to say, upstater. He actually has a very left-wing voting record, and he has a very left-wing voting record in this, in Congress now. So your district He's is, actually left of AOC, believe it or not. So your your district is is yeah. a is a pro-Trump district. Yes, it's a pro-Trump. But so Danny, what I'm so I think things are going to be tough for him to try to sell that he's mm-hmm. a moderate when he's not and you look at his record you know for upstate new york to vote and for a late-term abortion and continue to support it he voted against the born Uh alive bill Mm -hmm. uh on medicare for all he's co-sponsored that and then when he got uh, was running in the campaign with me in 2018 he was like well i I support it only for new york state but i don't i don't support it for the rest of the country how can you take that for those of you who are listening who aren't in new york state you may not realize that we are a very diverse state, and upstate New York is very different than New York City. In New York City, the vast majority of New York City people do not like Trump at all. The vast majority were pro-impeachment, the vast majority, but you go upstate and it's a big difference. You find a lot of districts that are very different. It's very much city versus rural in that regard. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, so I want to address one thing on that too as well. So the the interesting thing, and very much as, as Larry described earlier, a, a rebel type of area, upstate mm-hmm. New York, we always feel like we're the ugly stepchild mm-hmm. compared to New York City. But, uh, you know, so I'm concerned. I mean, I think one of the reasons Brindisi was concerned is that, you know, if he doesn't vote for impeachment, he certainly doesn't want to be the only Democrat in the state of New York to vote against impeaching this president who's very unpopular in the mm-hmm. city areas. Mm-hmm. So his future in politics would be better voting to impeach, even if he's not in Congress, his future would be going back to the state sure. somehow right. and, and being elevated there because this is kind of, a, if he voted against it, it'd be kind of a ceiling for him right. and uh, politically, and he's still a young guy. So I think that's part of it. But uh, back to the, the rebel issue, I mean, I think the issue with Trump, I think a lot of people, certainly in our area, may not like what the way he tweets, some of the stuff he does, but they do see him as the alternative to the establishment, which doesn't seem to be working for us in New York State. Got it. Okay, good. Danny, how was that? It was awesome. Uh, there we go. And uh, Claudia, I just wanted to point out um, that a lot of Republican females are running for congressional races locally, especially here in the 20th and the 18th, because I know Che Ch- Farley's challenging Maloney and... Um, uh, Delgado's got a businesswoman challenger, so but you don't hear the media focus on you know Republican women running, but because they're more focused on women that running on the Democrat side. It's right. it's it's such a bizarre thing. Right? No, you Any got thoughts on yeah, that? Liz Joy. Uh, if they're not talking yep. about her. She's running against Tonko. You're talking about Shel Farley running against Sean Patrick Maloney. And by the way. Sean Patrick Maloney is in the 18th district, and I represented two towns in the assembly with him, believe it or not, all the way down mm-hmm. in Orange County. And yeah, there are women. We have more women than ever. Elise Stefanik has kind of led the way. She's uh, is supported and endorsed us, her Elise pack. You know, she's getting attacked all the time for being a millennial woman. 
And uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, there is, it is hard to be a woman Republican or even conservative. There's just a, you know, entrepreneur, like, look at me, I got all the strikes against me. I've got, (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. I'm a lawyer. I'm a woman. I'm a mother of a Marine, which is why we love Larry because he's a former (laughs) Marine. And so Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of those things that don't, a lot of women, a lot of suburban women don't like to, you know, they they tend to be more left-leaning, I, I think, but I don't know about that. I think, I mean, I was a, my son didn't play soccer, so I was a basketball swimming mom. Mm-hmm. So my son was really tall. Mm-hmm. He's still tall. He's 6'5 now. So uh, we did baseball too, but I, I think that a lot of women want security. They want safety. And I know I cared about a lot of those things with my son. And I think people are worried about what's going on. Uh, and I think one of the big factors that people are are not necessarily focusing on is not just the national issues where women are faring better economically, just like everybody else. But I think the security issues, the bail reform issue, which was well-intentioned but isn't turning out well, especially in upstate New York, and and some of the criminal justice reforms. I mean, as a woman, I mean, I, I if I had a daughter and the thought that if she got raped in my home and the rapist could come back and take pictures and hang around my house – you know, which is something that's allowed. I know that's sort of a, you know, an outlier example, but these types of things don't look like safety and security to a woman who's raising children in a rural area or a suburban area in upstate New York. So that's a great, thank you, Danny. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you, Dan. Um, I, all right, take care, guys. I thank have a you. couple of questions from the internet and, and it's three in a row that are all about Second Amendment. Okay. I know you support the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, one yes. of them is, um, are you uh, – well, let me that's, – that's a loaded question. I'll scratch that one. Okay. <laughs> oh, what types of guns should citizens be allowed to own, and how do you think it should be regulated in your perfect world? Well – at the, at Looking at le- the, the, the national level, obviously. Right. I mean, look at the – the Second Amendment says your right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. It's not very subtle. It's not very but, but nuanced. Generally but. speaking, most people who are anti-gun will say – well-regulated militia, right? That's right. always their their comeback is, right. well, the militia should be well-regulated. Yeah, so they'll always they, come back with that. But if you go back and you actually read your history of why mm-hmm. the Second Amendment was started and you look at the Virginia documents and what, how we got it, the militia means the citizens. Yes. It does not mean the police. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't have that the right way. Look, no lawful gun owner wants to see anyone have access to guns who can't responsibly handle them, be secu- you know safe, uh, be trained, but it is a self-defense issue. Now, in New York City, you ca- your cops can get to a scene in a in matter sure. of minutes. Yep. If you're out in a rural area, I'm not always I mean, happy about that. I'm thinking about my, is, my guest here, Rita, <laughs> so, yes. with me. Mm-hmm. She lives a long way in the middle of the country from any kind of police. If somebody came to her house and she was limited in how she could defend herself, and she's she's an accomplished uh, person in, in shooting, and we do sporting clays together and some other fun stuff, and she's accomplished at that. And if she didn't have her own, if she lives alone, if she didn't have access, to be able to protect herself, which is the point of the Second Amendment, she would be she could be killed in her own house. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't really totally understand that so when you come from New York City. Does that mean, in your view, that she should be able to have an assault weapon, or is that too far? Right? Well, that- define an assault weapon. An assault. You know mm-hmm. what we say an assault weapon is. Once you define my hunting rifle as an assault weapon, then you're going to take it away from us. So you know, I mean, what is an assault weapon? How I mean, about how, let's let's, let's, find let's the go definition. with what Beto said, right? Beto says he wants to take away your AR-15s and your AKs, right? Do you agree? Disagree? Don't care. I, I don't see anything wrong with everyday civilians. One of the most commonly used 
firearms is an AR-15. Mm-hmm. It's because a lot of people in the military are understand Absolutely. how to operate them safely. They yep. understand how to use it. They can clean M16 it. They can fix it. M16A2 was for when I was in the Marine right. Corps. Absolutely. Exactly. So you're a Marine. My, you know, my son is a big advocate as a Marine mm-hmm. and uh, very safe. I mean, I, I, honestly, when you go to when you are around people who are responsible with guns, the safety level is what I <laughs> yes. find the most incredible about them. You know, if you go to a gun range, like Rita and I are a member of a number of gun ranges incredible safety i mean people just need to understand that and i get it you know my sister is terrified of guns Ah! Mm -hmm. but if i took her out to a range and before you even go near the range you learn how to handle a gun properly before we even let you we're not going to let you out there if you're not going to handle it safely i taught my wife how to shoot yeah and and a lot of women uh love it i mean Mm -hmm. there's a group that that i don't know if rita shoots in this group but it's called grits Girls really into shooting. So <laughs> like um, it's fun. But mm-hmm. anyway, I, I do think, you know, having a civilians on the on the ground with an AK-47 with a, with a fully automatic weapon probably isn't, uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with licensure and people making sure they meet qualifications to have some of these things. I'm all for background checks. I think, you know, people that, especially if somebody's not going to meet that standard. But I think sometimes the standard is ridiculous. I live in Oneida County, New York, and there are, you know, I, a lot, most people cannot get an unrestricted concealed carry license. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for no reason, if my son came in and wanted to get an unrestricted concealed carry license, he's an active duty Marine. He can't, he can't purchase guns in Pennsylvania and go into New York State yes. as an active duty Marine because yes. of you know the waivers aren't there, and so you ha- there has to be reasonableness and common sense. And you, you know, use the buzzword common sense. It's you, just you, common sense. You just scared libertarians when you say common sense, because <laughs> when we hear common sense gun control, we hear oh. Well, grab, I'm not talking about grab, common grab. sense gun control. I, uh, okay, I mean, good. Okay, I, good. I, I don't mean common sense gun control. I think there are are some. Look, at the First Amendment is not completely unlimited. You sure. can't defame, slander somebody with malice, especially a public standard. The New York mm-hmm. Times standard for public officials is malice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of those cases popping the old, up right now. You can't now. yell fire in a theater, right? right. There's certain, things, sure. mm-hmm. certain limitations. and uh, But I do think when it comes to protecting yourself and, and you choose the suitable weapon for where you live and mm-hmm. what you need, uh, I, I just think that to, to assume that people don't have the discretion to be able to do that, uh, that I mean, that's... We live in a free society, and we need to preserve that. Okay. Let's go back to the phones if we could. Yeah. Going back to New York again. We're going to grab uh, Clark from New York. The last guy I want to talk about Democrats. This guy wants to talk about Republicans. Clark, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Larry? I'm doing great. Talk to me, my Hi, friend. Uh, first of all, I'm from Canastota. I was in Claudia's district. And uh, you know, first of all, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, I voted for her. I'm sorry she lost, but uh, um, I love that she's uh, so accessible. Claudia, you're uh, winning. Thank you, Clark. I appreciate that. You're winning. <laughs> Canastota, home you know, of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. I talked to you during a town hall. I asked you. I actually asked you to in, endorse Larry with the, <laughs> and you, and you, you said you would look into it for me. But I guess my question is: anytime Larry has a Republican on, I have to ask this question. I don't want to group you in with the the group, but since you're on, I just. It seems to me that, you know, that's why I kind of went toward the Libertarian Party, that the Republican Party just isn't for small government anymore. And, um, you know, even under Trump, even under Trump, the deficit is increasing, the Mm -hmm. size of government's increasing. And even, and they just seem to blame the Democrats, vice versa, two-party system. No, I like um, what you're saying, you know, Clark. Mm-hmm. And, and let me, if I could, I do hear that often, Claudia. I hear often that, right. you know, Trump... 
definitely, you know, got the economy going, got it, but the deficit went with it, right? The deficit just went boom, right? Good economy, also big deficit. And he was supposed to cut deficit too. So to cut deficit, supposed to cut our, our debt. He was supposed to cut both. He hasn't cut deficit or debt. The government is getting bigger. Yeah, let me first say, Clark, thank you so much for saying and telling the truth about me having town halls. I had numerous town halls. I had numerous coffees. And uh, we started taking our, because the town halls were filled with people just screaming at me and a lot of people really couldn't get their voices heard. We moved to like select, we did town halls on just opioids or just mm-hmm. with veterans or just with seniors. And so so people could actually access me and talk to me without being having them scream about impeaching Trump or whatever the, the re- indivisible resist movement wanted to talk about the whole time. So thank you for recognizing that because my opponent still gets up and says that I never had a town hall, even though they have all this footage of me at town halls that they use in their commercials. So thank you for pointing out that, uh, that fallacy that uh, hopefully will dispel because even Republicans believe it. So I'm a fiscal conservative and I'm concerned about the debt and deficit as well. It's a, it's a huge problem. But when I when we were in Congress, we as Republicans had a hard time coming together. We had so many factions in the Congress, just in the House of Representatives. We had all the different groups. We had the liberals, the conservatives, and the rest of us. And uh, and everybody all in kind of splicing around, which is a good thing. It's a diverse group of people. But the problem is that we had in order to get anything passed in the House, you have to get through the Senate and get mm-hmm. to the president. So we have to make compromises along the way. We finally came up with a way that would cut the debt and the deficit over time because the biggest problem with the federal debt and deficit is the mandatory spending side. Yes, and, absolutely. And if you look at it by comp- comparison, it's like a bucket of water and a drop of water. The mandatory side, we've got to start. That is where the, mm-hmm. the juice and the meat of this problem is. And everybody focuses on the discretionary side, which is where we have some control, but really isn't make that much dent. So we had a mechanism in place when we put forth the budget in 2017, and it was part of the American Health Care Act. And we had it. We, we struggled with it. The first try didn't work. We came back with a second try, which wasn't perfect. It was it was better. I will say it was better. It was not great. There were problems with it. We fought for our parts of it. We got it to the Senate. John McCain came out of retirement, came in from uh, Arizona, let the bill get to the floor with great hope and anticipation. We thought we're finally going to, you know, at least start chipping away at the debt and deficit, trying to solve the problem of Obamacare. And then John McCain gave us one big thumbs down, Mm -hmm. which was very disappointing for all of us. And, you know, God rest his soul. I mean, he was a, uh, you know, a person that served our country. Uh, in uniform, and 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 we are, you know, honor him for that. But unfortunately, this was just really hurt us, and we weren't able to recover. And we are still suffering under Obamacare right now. The Democrats keep saying, "Stop criticizing Obamacare, and it'll work." It's not working, and we need to fix it. And we but, need to. But you brought yeah. a, a very big point, yeah. right? Some of the biggest chunks of the budget are Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. Uh, you know defense spending these are the big chunks that most of the time to you to your point where we can do discretionary issues but that's not really going to change anything we've got to hit the big pieces right. is there a way now obviously you're not you know super super woman you're not going to walk in and just make everything change but how does someone like you again being one of 435 
how can you begin to make that push? You know, to Clark's point, how can we start to make that happen till we start touching the the meat of it, right? Not right. just the discretionary funds. Right. You have to chip away at it. Like, so I am, as a conservative, I want to go in and I want to build Rome in a day and have it all done. I want to go in and do one vote and it's over. But unfortunately, you can't. We have a collaborative form of government. We have to struggle with the Senate side. We have to worry about getting Republicans elected. We tried to do all those things. And look what happened. The Democrats raised so much money, they slaughtered us, and we lost 41 seats. Mm -hmm. And now look what we have. Uh, in a way, the do-nothing Congress, at least they can't destroy the good that we did get done in the 115th Congress, which is really, they say, one of the best Congresses in over 30 years. But we still were two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, a half step back. I mean, we're still struggling. And I think the the president would like to do that. And he always says, you know, I, we've, you know how do we get through the government. So guess what? We go through a shutdown and the Democrats blame everything on Trump. They blame everything on Trump. And so we're in a situation where if the Democrats would just join on board with us and recognize and care about the debt and deficit, they certainly don't care about the debt and deficit when uh, when they're in power. Or And it seems that both sides are like that. But let me tell you something. Without For people that have not sat in a Republican conference like I have in the majority, it is a brawl over the debt and deficit. We want to cut the debt and deficit, but unfortunately you've got to, it's just, the Senate is so hard to get things through. You know, we came up with great bills and you just get slam dunked. So you have to go in and compromise. And that's why it's a, it's a frustrating, but there's nothing wrong with that. People just need to be patient. And one of the biggest frustrations I have is Republicans and conservatives, maybe even libertarians. We tend not to have the patience. The Democrats always win on process. They don't win on policy and they play the long game. They're willing to take short-term losses to win down the road. And that's how they've been able to defeat us. I mean, I, if you just look at all the policy positions they take, they're able to sit there and wait. So they're, Clark, is yeah. that answering your question or no? Well, I mean, trust me, I definitely blame the Democrats. It's just that uh, you would think the Republican party would be the more conservative and I might be wrong. I don't know everything about right. government, but doesn't Mr. Trump have to sign these huge spending bills? I mean, can he can he not spend them if he doesn't agree with them? Well, this is a valid point, right? right? I mean, he Trump did, did but say then, he was not did. going to, remember, and then he did. Remember, we did. We went through two government shutdowns in 17 and in 18 into 19. Remember the big government shutdown where Nancy Pelosi famously decided to fly and go off to Afghanistan with this huge entourage. And Trump said, uh, I'm not I'm grounding your plane. Mm -hmm. You need to stay here and, and get this thing done and, and negotiate so that, you know, we can get these government back uh, workers back to work and that type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, the government shutdown is part, and unfortunately, that's the way it goes. But I will say to you, Clark, one of the key things that a lot of people don't realize is that in 2017, for the first time in, I think, a decade, we actually, in the House of Representatives, under the control of the Republicans, we passed a balanced budget, 12 appropriations bills on regular order without having to go through the so-called continuing resolution process. We did it. And it got to the Senate and got all gummed up and came back okay. because we didn't have enough Republicans in the Senate. Remember, we lost yeah. the seat in Alabama and then we tried to win some seats back. So, okay. you know, I think we're we're struggling to get there. But sometimes, you know, you got to get your head bashed in. I mean, look what happened in my seat. You know, I my fiscal conservatism didn't take a you know, I lost my seat because Brindisi went around and told everybody that I voted to take their health care away, which I didn't. I I supported pre-existing conditions and all these bills that they accused us of. But they ran these cookie cutter campaigns across the nation and people 
you know, we're not informed because we have a terrible media that is all in, in outrage all the time about Trump and not really informing the people about what's really happening. Okay, Clark, was that a good answer? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, again, I, uh, you know, I don't personally, I like Claudia and I voted for her and I support her. And, um, you know, she is very accessible. And if, uh, I'm just glad you voted for me. That's all I care about. (laughs) I definitely vote for you, Larry. And I, uh, I try to get Claudia to, to uh, endorse you, too. Thank well, you, brother. I appreciate I've, it. By the way, Clark, just so you know, I've only endorsed two people for office ever. See that? Only two. Well, I mean. Hopefully you know, next time. I was just I was just impressed she took my question. There and, we uh, go. All good. Yeah, she, thank she you. So no, we appreciate it. Uh, call in. And actually, you can call me when you uh, when we get back into town. If you're, I drive through Canasota all the time. Thank you, Clark. I appreciate thank you. it. Hi. All right. All right, there's another question. This is uh, off topic. This is a question from the uh, internet. Um, should sex work be decriminalized? I'm sure the libertarians aren't going to like this answer, but I, as a mom, mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, I, do, I just don't think it's going to lead down the right path for, for children to have to be involved in, especially young people. I mean, I think it's something that's going to leave uh, more human trafficking, more people sus- uh, susceptible to that. So the way that it looks to me, I'm, I'm a, I've, I've witnessed a lot of human trafficking in my life and with people with human trafficking, I championed uh, against human trafficking in the assembly with bills with Amy Paulin and also in the House of Representatives. Uh, I'm concerned about children and people getting caught up in this industry. I, I just think, uh, you know, a sex industry is just something I can't support. Don't we have it, though, with pornography? Yeah, but that's different. I think that's with adults. If it, pornography, you're talking about sex trafficking, you know, sex no, what, being what prostitution. Is, to be clear, I, I, but this wasn't a You're clear talking question. about prostitution, actual physical act versus por- reading pornography. No, no, I'm, uh, right. the, the people who are in the porn industry, right, right. are literally having a sexual act for money. Now, the way they get around it, the law is, right, if if some woman wants to have sex and she has sex with me and I pay her, that's prostitution. Right. But if you have a production company, we have sex and you pay her, it's not prostitution. That's pornography. It's different. I'm not paying her to have but sex. Pornography is the production company is paying her to have sex with me, right? So that's not that that is no longer prostitution. That is now pornography, right? Plus, pornography also is freedom of speech. That's that's the the piece behind pornography. Pornography is a legal industry, right? Prostitution is not. So, if a woman literally, literally, if a woman has sex on camera, man and woman have sex on camera, um, then that's legal, right? As long as the production company's mm-hmm. paying her, that's legal. But if the individual pays that person to have sex, that's prostitution. That's illegal. Both of them can go to jail. The idea of sex work being decriminalized would mean that. Prostitution would be the same as pornography, meaning that you still have to be 18 years or older to be involved in it. There would still be transactions back and forth, which are business transactions, right? It wouldn't, there would be no need in theory, in theory, there'd be no need for sex trafficking because it would be available in the market. You could just go to a brothel, you could call someone up, you can go back to a back page and say, hey, I would like my sex worker to come over. Sex work could be prostitution, sex work could be. Um, strippers could be dominatrix could be huggers for people who have disabilities insert thing here right that is why sex work is a is a larger um i guess category mm-hmm. that's the concept does that does it matter if it changes your opinion of asking just letting you know it's a clearer picture well, does that change your more opinion broad that I've, I've never really thought about it that much that yeah. way uh, libertarians do think of sex work as 
a larger industry, which is why you rarely hear libertarians use the word prostitution. Here or there, but it's very rare. Most libertarians will use the phrase sex work, sex workers. I just, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, the idea of, I, I understand it's legal. I just think about children and, and being involved in that industry. I just think human trafficking just seems to be a byproduct of that. But human trafficking, it, as a general rule, there is very little human trafficking in pornography with the exception of child porn. Right. Which is but illegal. Human trafficking is people, you know, using or paying. They could be adults, you know. The, sure. And and almost like a, you know, saying you can pay for somebody to go and have sex with someone else. I just, I don't know, as someone who is maybe unwittingly caught up in this, but as a young person or a young, you know, male or female in in many cases, especially. I just think about it being. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I guess I, I, from a libertarian perspective, I can see where you would support it, but I feel like it's almost going down a slippery slope. The the libertarian view is your body. I don't know. What do you think about it? I think it should be decriminalized. Of course, absolutely. I think if you if you decriminalize if you decriminalize sex work, well, what what will happen? It has happened in countries who've done it is initially there'll be a little bit of, of disruption. That's how it usually works. But after that disruption, what usually happens is all, almost all human trafficking, immediate decrease. Immediate decrease because it's no longer illegal. Therefore, it's no longer lucrative. Once the black market doesn't... Where is that example of that happening? Uh, the Netherlands, right? The Netherlands is the human trafficking much lower. There's, there's human trafficking everywhere. Don't get me wrong. Right, that no, does there is. There's everywhere. more now than ever. Absolutely, so. everywhere. But the countries that have the least amount that have the least amount of it um, are those who who legalize it. If you look at women, and this is specifically women, there are a lot of people who are gay and trans who are also in that right. industry. But when you look at women, that's what we have data on. We don't really keep mm-hmm. much data on the the GSM. GSM stands for, by the way, uh, gender and sexual minorities. Right. Right. So the GSM community, we don't have much data on them because the government doesn't keep that much data on them. But they keep a lot of data on women, right? Because we arrest them, we put them in jail, we we regulate them in Nevada. So there's more data on that. When women go into the illegal or underground sex working world, the prostitution world, almost always the only way out is prison or death. That's pretty much the only two ways they get out. Prison, death. When they go into the legal, which is Nevada, which is not a great system, but better than criminal, women who go into those fields or into escort services on their own, Statistically, they come out better financially, physically, emotionally, in every way, shape, and form because they control their destiny. There's no requirement to have a pimp. There's no requirement for violence. There's no requirement for all those things. They're safer. It's better. The reality of it is, I believe, this is my opinion, if you're going to go into that field, why wouldn't I want you to be as safe as I could possibly have you? Well, we had a bill, the state assembly, which actually minimized the – criminalization of women who are victims in the in whether you want to call it prostitution because they tend to be more victimized in that because there's a net, there's a power sure. issue especially now so particularly from that perspective especially for yep. women who are caught up in this so Correct. i don't i mean i guess we it's a more sophisticated operation corporation uh mm-hmm. business somewhere else that i'm just not familiar with and obviously it's Maybe less so than a lot of maybe men would be since I tend to be like a – I'm a 59-year-old woman. It's not exactly something I think well, – I don't think I have any saleable items to be honest. <laughs> so I don't think anybody wants to be with a 59-year-old. 
<laughs> who knows, right? Who knows? Yeah. Yes, who knows? It's not one of my strengths. There we go. So <laughs> yep, uh, that, that's a very libertarian um, uh, uh, point I want to bring right. up. Can I ask something? Go ahead, please. So the, uh, no, well, please put the microphone to your face. So you would agree women 18 and older when you say legalized prostitution? 100%. I'm just saying age. Absolutely, 100%. And older. Uh, in my personal view, I would prefer if the industry would only accept 21 and older. That would give actually women an opportunity to work first before they got into the, into the sex worker industry. But I wouldn't want to have a legal reason of doing that. I think the industry, I would hope it would, if we could put enough pressure on the industry itself to decide to accept 21 and older because I think it's safer as a general rule because, you know, medically – no one, men, women, don't mature as much until they're in their 20s. So I'd prefer them because still to this day, there's a stigma. If you get into the sex working industry, that's going to have a stigma in your life. Some women are okay with it. Some aren't. But my worry is you do it at 18, 19. Now you're 25. You regret it. Right? I'd rather you have some time of course. to think things through and decide, you know yes. what? Yes, I want to go here. No, I don't want to go here. But there's, a, there's another issue that is in my heart, and that is it's your body, not mine. Right? It's your body, not mine. I don't get to choose. Right, and if you wanted to, right, you can you could become if you if uh, and I'm talking women specifically because you have more data on women, but this is for for men too. Mm -hmm. If a woman wants to become a, a sugar baby, and which is a big thing for kids in college right now, a lot of kids who are trying to make extra money for college or pay up their debt, they the the young girls who are 20, 21, 22, they basically get a sugar daddy. The sugar daddy pays them a monthly stipend, and they're available for when the man wants them to be available. That's legal. Because it's not for sex. It is just, you're available for me. Is it sex? Of course it is. Of course it is. But it's technicality. So now you're a savvy, 20-something, good-looking woman who can get a wealthy guy to have that basically a, a prostitution relationship. It's fine. But no, you're a poor girl who lives in the Bronx or something like that. You get locked up and go to jail and need a pimp. It's not fair. When you, le when you, when you criminalize sex work you punish poor women that's what that's what happens you punish poor women and wealthier savvier women i don't know if i i mean you say criminalize uh, versus coming up with a regulatory scheme to protect people i would i'd be okay so with that. you would be regulating it which would be something that wouldn't be very libertarian no 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 no, no. i i don't mind at all look, look there, there are some people who are more anarchist i'm not an anarchist in that right. regard right i understand that the country is not ready for a fully voluntary society i get that 100 percent would I would I take a regulation of sex work? I would. I prefer to criminalization. I would, but I would take regulation if, if that's the step I have to go to protect poor women. I'll take it. I'm in. I'll take it. I would take a Nevada model, which is not the best model because Nevada model really helps out um, wealthy men who uh, own brothels. What is right? the What is the Nevada model? It's much more about the men having brothels. and the, the, almost all men. There are some women who own, but very much it's outside of cities. You go there, the women are tested, all, they're regulated, right? They're regulated how they do things, right? So it, the, the problem is uh, so much of that money goes to the brothel owner, right? I, and I'm look, if I take that model, I'll take it. But, cause, but here's what I know what would happen because we've seen it happen before. When you have an environment that opens up the market and men dominate it, when women are the workers, they will try – this is what they do all the time. Women will try to move up the chain to become managers and owners. And then when they can't because men will hold them back, they go off on their own and become entrepreneurs. You see it happening constantly, right? That's what happens. So I would take an, a, a regulated model because eventually I think you'd find women who would take charge of their own future and their own destiny. 
Well, I do see a silver lining to this. Please. So if we legalize this uh, this uh, sex business, mm-hmm. we would have had Elliot Spitzer longer, which means we never would have had Andrew Cuomo. That's also true. Yes. <laughs> yes. And there is one good thing about Spitzer. I don't know if you know this, but Spitzer actually was looking at um, totally revamping family court. He was the last governor to consider. He was in the process of thinking he had a plan to revamp family court, which I wish we would revamp family court. So I'll give Spitzer the uh, the credit where credit is due. And in that case, I'm not a huge Spitzer fan, but that one, he actually cared about revamping family court. So I wish he would have got that one done. That would have been nice. So anyway, so yes, that's that's the libertarian view on sex work, but it's all good. No, yes. I, I, it's uh, enlightening for me because I don't know a lot about it. I, I'm more worried about human trafficking than anything. Is in, yeah, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, human trafficking, remember, even in a libertarian, even in a libertarian viewpoint, is still illegal. Right. It's mm. still it's still grabbing someone against their will. So that's still using force. But a that lot of those people illegal. don't know it's against their will because they're they're manipulated so young. Absolutely. And, and so when they're or, or very vulnerable, whether they're young or not. And, and the advantage is if you had that, you would have law enforcement focusing on that and not busting some John who's just trying mm-hmm. to have a good time some night with some young lady. Please I go ahead. A, a woman that was running Put your mouth to the mic, please. I, I met there we a, go. I met a woman down in D.C. that's running for Congress from Arizona, and she told me, Rita, that the cartels are bringing 11-year-olds across the border, mm-hmm. and they have these what are called rape trees, and that's how they initiate them as control and power. They rape them under these rape trees, and then they know. Don't know. So One would assume that you wouldn't want to rape the girl. You would assume that you would want her to be, you know— Pristine, I would assume. Wouldn't that, isn't that the whole goal of I'm just doing saying, that kind of thing? I don't know. This, it's not my world. I don't really well, know. Well, if you're going to be in sex trafficking, you're only going to be pristine once. That's true. Good point. Yes, <laughs> so, it's true. Yes. But I mean, it should. Yes. this it needs yeah. to be told, that story. You know? No, no, I agree. Look, to, to be forward, libertarians are, without question, about consenting adults. Uh, I'm just saying. Yes, no I'm question. Just... Yeah, good. All right, Um. hold on. Um. Hold on, let's see. Um. Let's see if I get another one. Uh. I don't know what this is, so I'll ask and see if you know what this is. Can you address the ombudsman pile? Can it be discontinued? It seems they stuff all kinds of miscellaneous stuff in the bill. I don't know what that is. Do you? I think they're trying to talk about omnibus. Is it omnibus? Oh, Oh, maybe maybe it's it's spelled incorrectly. Okay, maybe. Right, yeah. So maybe the the whole leveraged uh, way that government does omnibus bills, meaning that there's a there's something in a bill that you like, but you got to vote for this sure. before you mm-hmm. get it. Ah, uh, that's yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's what he means. Yes. So okay. yeah. yeah, I I used to I had a bill actually in the assembly that would have a, it would be a single issue bill. You couldn't do omnibus bills. You'd have to vote on each issue separately. Oh, up or I down love vote, that. Oh my god, which yes, would I prevent that. that leverage kind of voting, which is why you get caught in it. Uh, and they do the same thing in in, uh, in the House of Representatives. They do the same thing in Congress as they do in New York. Although it's more insidious in New York because you have one party rule, right? Yes, uh, and and it's very you know uh, New Yorkers are now at the mercy of these uh, people who all seem to be from New York City. No offense to New York City here, no. But there's one. No one there's city basically run the state. I agree. One viewpoint, and everybody else upstate is a little bit. 
you know, we're, we're victims of in, in a way because although we benefit from New York City, there's a lot of people that advocate cutting sure. New York City and, and upstate New York out. But I think you got to stand and fight and you got to you got to bring New York City closer to upstate and upstate. You know, we got to find a middle ground somewhere that um, the omnibus spending is what causes a lot of the problem mm. you get. And, and this is what the governor is probably going to do. Uh, maybe with that bail reform, they're going to throw that in there to do some bail reform, give more uh, discretion to say judges on that. Right. And then they're going to make you vote for something that you don't want to vote for that he wants on the other side. So it, it, it's the same thing they just did with the coronavirus uh, uh, yeah, they funding. Him, they just gave them $40 million. They, they gave money. Well, the, I'm talking about in the, uh, with the governor. They got the, the funding, but then they gave the governor all these uh, extraordinary powers, yes. uh, which I thought was terrible. Insane. He basically can so. now martial law is okay. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants whatever and he wants. call it an emergency. Exactly. Oh, my God. So, I mean, this is like, this is the kind of stuff that's very scary where New York State, uh, you know, is at least on the federal side, we're much, it's much more in check. But uh, back, th- by the way, Claudia for Congress dot com. Is there my we website go. If, you know, you keep reminding me to say it. So, uh, so this yeah, is another question. That's a little bit off, but I don't, I don't know if, if you can do anything as a congressperson for this. Mm-hmm. Can you help volunteer firefighters, EMTs with PTSD? By the way, if you want to call in, just 573-427-5463. So, yes, uh, there's a question from uh, yeah, online. Well, PTSD, obviously, is the PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, I assume they're coming from their service as a volunteer fireman or their service in the military in the past or volunteer fireman. Or EMT. Right now, I mean, I, the designation of having PTSD being a recognized and uh, diagnosable condition that would give you medical care would put you in that umbrella to be cared for, to have care. It's not always the case, depending on the kind of health care that you have. Mm-hmm. So I do think a lot of people, especially a fireman that has to witness horrific maybe a structure fire or deal with a traumatic uh, if they're a first responder and they're mm-hmm. also doing that and having to go to a scene that where they have to deal with a terrible car accident or deal with this stuff all day long it's really common more common in the military but it, it does happen to a lot of people that are, are serving sure. as first responders domestic uh situations that are terrible here just as horrible as they can be over in uh, in the middle east or wherever sure. you might be serving so uh it depends on your health care so uh volunteer firemen typically do not get absolutely any any anything and unfortunately we have a lot of volunteers in my end of the of the state where yep. they tend to be paid in the big yep. cities absolutely and you know the people who volunteers uh god bless them they do a job for a, they get a pin or a sweatshirt they don't get paid. They don't get a pension. They don't get what others get, and they provide. I, I don't know. It's some so I'm not sure. it's some astronomical really... number of the amount of service they provide yeah. to the taxpayers for for nothing, basically for very small. And it's it's incredible. But I'm not uh, sure that, uh, that that that's a federal issue, though, is it? It's really more of a state it's a, issue. It's isn't a it? state issue. It's a healthcare issue. But you know, especially with a fire uh, volunteer firemen but we've done a lot to try to give them as even in the state side to give more and more benefits to them on the state side Mm -hmm. incentives health care education credits a lot of things we've done to try to help firemen on that side there have been some bills that haven't been so uh, helpful to them in other cases but uh, okay we have a a comment you can't cut taxes without cutting spending just a comment (laughs) those you might enjoy that that's all that's good so we have another question libertarians are coming up now all right. Uh, so libertarian. Oh, coming up now. Yes. Um, there. Um, this is a long question. 
Um, so let me see if I can cut it down to be, be, be clearer. Um, the Republican Party has made overt and covert efforts to get libertarians knocked off of the ballot. Um, do you think this is it's acceptable? Uh, first of all, I think it's interesting that my experience is in New York. Mm -hmm. So to call the Republican Party some monolithic group of people who are ab able to do a whole lot has proven to be not true when mm -hmm. you see that the entire state government is controlled by the Democrats and not the true. Republican Party has substantially less enrolled voters than they used to and many less than the independents and the Democrats. And so two and a half every to one, party right? is trying to seek a way to get mm -hmm. everyone who's in a, a competitive race because of our ballot access issues is trying to figure out a way to get their opponent off the ballot. It's a lot easier when your ballot has your, your opponent has less ballot lines when you're in a fusion voting state like we have. Yeah, For those of you who don't know, New York yeah. state is very special. Only about seven states even have fusion voting. New York is one of the most aggressive when that comes. What that means is those of you not in New York, we can actually be on multiple lines, right? So you can actually have, you can have someone who's on a Republican line and Democrat line or Republican and Libertarian or Republican and, and conservative. You can be in multiple lines. And sometimes you find people on three, four, five, six lines on one ballot. So everyone's trying to get those lines. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things, and that's a big controversy happening now. And uh, Larry went out and, uh, I don't know how many thousands of miles you went trying to get your libertarian <laughs> yes. line, but for the first time ever, you got the libertarian line, a ballot access mm -hmm. through your the governor's race. Uh, so people that are out there that don't know, the only way that you can get a ballot line is to get, the old threshold was to get 50,000 votes on the governor's race in a gubernatorial year. They've changed the rules now. Now it's in a presidential year. And I think the standard is much higher. Yes, You've got every two years, it's either 130,000 votes okay. or 2%, whichever is higher. Now, this year, probably about 8 million New Yorkers will vote. So we're going to need about 160,000 votes, give or take. It's a lot of votes. It's a lot of votes. Right. It's a lot so of votes. That means but Gary Johnson in 2016 did get 175,000. So it is doable for us right. if we have the right candidate, right? We can do what it. What was the possible. line he was on? He was on Libertarian and Independence. Okay. He was on two lines. What did he, did he get? What did he get the hundred sixty five thousand on? He got one hundred sixty five thousand on both combined. I think it was about a hundred thousand, if I remember right. A little over a hundred was on independence, All right. and a little under seventy, I think, was on um, libertarian. Right. That's a tough. Well, the conservative party usually gets over two hundred thousand, but uh, that I think it's going to be interesting to see if that commission allows this to go forward. Right. I assume it has already made the decision, but no one's stopped them yet. So, Well, there are lawsuits now, which in right. my view, and obviously I'm totally biased, but right. in my view, I actually don't mind them raising the numbers or changing them. I don't. I mean, it's totally fine. It, right. They can do what they feel is appropriate. My problem is they told me that if I did what I did, I'd get it for four years. My problem is stopping this in, in under four years. Right. That to me is, is, is reneging on their promise. Right. That to me is wrong. And in my view, that's illegal. They <laughs> should not be able to stop it in the middle, they told me that if I do it, I get four years. You want to change the threshold? Change it 2022. Have you joined the lawsuit on this with the conservative party? I, I think Working Families is part of it. Yep. So they're trying to change it so that, that we can protect some of the minor party lines. To be honest with you, I think the conservative party over the years has grown because they have been willing to cross endorse certain candidates to grow their party so they have more and more people that come in on the line. Sure. So that helps them a lot. Uh, so I, I think that sometimes 
people don't recognize that you have to kind of you have to sometimes align yourself to get them. I think the Working Families Party tends to align themselves with the Democrats, yep. although they have their famous rifts here and there too. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this year and what parties survive next year. Right. Right. So, we, we weren't bad last year. Um, we so, but you haven't had a, well. You did. A, you haven't ha- been able to count in a presidential year. Not yet. Right. This will be the so. first one. Last year we had 103 victories, libertarians. Mm-hmm. Seven were only libertarian, and 96 were somehow cross endorsed. And I think my my most my my popular, if I remember, my most famous, I think it was Cattaraugus County. I'm sure someone will call in and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, was Cattaraugus County where we had 11 total candidates? I think if I remember right, it was. Hold on, was it five? No, hold on. It was like three were libertarian, four were libertarian Democrat, four were libertarian Republican. It was like perfect mix of all three. It was just very good. So, so we have done that before. So let's go to the, the 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 healthcare issue if we could. Big deal for everybody talking, particularly because of the Democratic primary, right? Mm-hmm. Medicare for all, or not Medicare for all, or Medicare with a with a with a if you for those who want it, right? Back and forth. Do you have a view either way? I mean, if, if you win this, you're going to be in the Congress. You're going to mm-hmm. have to look at that, and there are going to be bills coming up here saying, hey, we want X, Y, and Z. And if if Trump loses, if, if Biden or Bernie wins, there's going to be some kind of Medicare thing going up there. If Trump wins, it'll be some kind of way of changing or adjusting Obamacare. So either way, regardless who wins, you're going to be dealing with Medicare and, and health care either way. Do you have a view either way? Uh, I am totally opposed to Medicare for all and a mm-hmm. government takeover of health care. I love the consumer-driven model. I mm-hmm. think that you can do it and still provide a public health care facet of it where we can protect people who are truly needy, as we should. I, I, I think that we can do that, and we can do that by people who I can choose what health care I have. I mm-hmm. don't have to buy a one-size-fits-all health care and buy all the things that you would need, and you don't have to buy all the things that I would need as a right. woman my age. And so I think it's harmful that we are always dependent on our employer for our health care that they've created a mandate. And as an employer of a small business that has sure. over 50 employees, we have to provide health care right. under the Obamacare mandate. And our health care, at the time when we started providing health care for our employees, it was a great incentive and benefit for us to attract good employees. Sure. Now it's just a burden that yes. is so costly that it's actually, we can't provide as good a health care as we used to have. Our health care, we used to have... You know, a lot. It was much less expensive, and I'm on the health care. And even when I was in Congress, I paid for my own health care through our family business. I paid for it myself. I didn't take the government option, and uh, I paid for it. And it was even it was more expensive than before. But we also had, you know, we had the cafeteria plan. We had mm-hmm. you could uh, join a health club. You could get counseling. We had good optical and dental. And we, so, if we, I'm hearing what you're we're saying, we're in a rural area, so we could we needed to attract good employees. Sure. So we were incentivized to provide health care to our employees. So, so hold on. Which, are yeah. you telling me that if I'm clear, you do you want to fix Obamacare, get rid of Obamacare, or not either, and Medicare? Do you want to reform Medicare, Medicaid, or kind of keep it the way it is and allow for more private market? I'm kind of curious, where would you like to go here? Well, it's not that simple of an issue. So number one, I think we have to repeal Obamacare. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a model. And and it's not going to be, you can't just, you know, 
get rid of it immediately sure. and not have something to ease us into where we mm-hmm. need to go. Going the Medicare for all way is just the total destruction of our society. Sure. I mean, it, and it's it's the end of small business. It's the end of any kind of negotiating. You're going to be just consumed with with debt and government's going to control everything and the government's going to control your health care decisions. They're going to decide mm-hmm. who gets to get their medicine and who doesn't based on what. You're going to be reading a code and a chart, which is antithetical to what this country stands for. And, and what our constitution and is about. If the Bernie model actually comes to pass, it's actually more draconian than the Scandinavian countries that he says we should be, you know, following. Even the Scandinavian countries still have private insurance. Absolutely. Right. I mean, they, they have no, a bigger also, safety net, but they absolutely still have right. private insurance. And they're also more, you know, the the populace of those countries are so much smaller yes. and, and so much less diverse than our country is in so uh, many ways. All of those diverse co- on countries every together. Yeah. Texas has more people. Texas has I more know. people than all of the four Scandinavian countries. New York City has more people than Finland. New York City has more people than Denmark. New York City has more people than Norway. Only right. only Sweden has more people than New York City. So completely true. And right. Finland, with the exception of Japan, is the most homogenous, ethnically uh, homogenous country on the planet. Right. So, so, yeah, so they're not good examples. They're and also they're moving away from a lot of that. But my concern is this. So we have a, a capitalist system a market-driven model. Mm-hmm. You've got to have people have a chance to be able to buy their health care because when you have a choice mm-hmm. and when people are competing and go- and whether it's the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. uh, health care companies, they are all, when they do not have to compete and we have a mandate, insurance companies love a mandate when you 100%. have to buy insurance. Yes. I mean, people would say, I remember people coming up to me when Obamacare was going to pass and they said, we're going to finally stick it to those insurance companies. I'm like, they love this. <laughs> I can't wait. Yes. They love this because yes. now you have to buy it. You just gave them 30 million more customers. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yes. Absolutely. And so many people are unable to afford it, like mm-hmm. people in my area. And so there is a way that, like, so I feel like the politicians, I'm both mostly Democrats, but some Republicans have gone away, have, got, have gotten away with eroding the kind of money that we are putting aside for Social Security, which is a program that we all pay into it when you work. And it has been eroded and defrauded on a number of levels, whether it's some of the, the uh, uh, tax, you know, it's been what they call swept is what they call it in the state government. But that means we're taking my money that I put into Social Security and putting it into other programs. It's a Ponzi scheme. Right. If you had just yeah. kept it, you know, with a lockbox, Social Security wouldn't be in the situation. Is And I'll tell you right now, I'm 59. Mm-hmm. I'm looking, I've been working since I was 16. And if I don't have Social Security, I know how these people feel. There's nothing I want more than to make sure that I get Social Security. I went through it with my parents, mm-hmm. uh, when, and both of them worked. And, you know, of course, you get a lesser amount when my, my dad died. My mom got my dad's Social Security, mm, sure. but it was mm-hmm. less, even though she worked too. Right. So there's a lot of uh, ways to attack this. And, uh, you know, I've tried to come up with my own solutions on how to deal with it. But I still think that we do have to have a public health care system mm-hmm. for people who are needy. I, I know that doesn't sound very libertarian, but there are ways of doing no, no, that. Totally they, fine. Yeah, I, I was, I, if you notice, I was yeah. never about abolishing anything. Yeah. I right? mean, when but, I ran for governor, I was with the same thing. I wanted to create other options that would allow people to compete against the monopoly that is government. And then either the public, this, this idea gets better. So now government has to get better or government goes away. Both are the right answer. Now, so if government gets better, then the poor get better service, 
or government goes away because the private market provides so much that everyone can have a piece right. of it. Either now, one. this is sort of this is an idealistic example. Sure. But it was given to me by a friend of mine who owns a number of veterinary clinics mm-hmm. in the metropolitan area. And he said, we just want to keep the government and insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies out of health, out of our veterinary clinics because he said Think about when you have, uh, you know, when you take your pet to the vet, you don't have to go through the government. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go through an insurance company. You don't have to go through a pharmaceutical company, although we're kind of moving in that direction. It once is starting in a while. to happen with the ph- Yeah, right. He said, think yeah. how much cheaper it is when you actually have a consumer driven model like that where you're not having government interfering Absolutely. because that's where the laden cost comes in. You know, this guy said, I bought an MRI machine. It's as good as it's state of the art. Yep. It's just like anything you'd get in a hospital. He goes, but you can come down and I can give you an MRI for a fraction of the price that Absolutely. you would spend because there's no government, there's no insurance company. And so that type of model, well, I think, Well, we have a really model help. already that's actually on humans, right? right. If, and I use it all the time. Look at any model that is not essential, right? LASIK eye surgery, cosmetic dentistry, right. body enhancements, mm-hmm. anything that's not essential. In every single case, accessibility has gone up, pricing has gone down, service has gone up. Right. We're old enough to remember when LASIK eye surgery used to be by the eye because it was so expensive. If you remember back in the day. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes, kind of, because it was so expensive. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. right. Right Off the bat, it was, well, you can only afford one eye at a time. It was so expensive. Now everybody gets it, right? Cosmetic dentistry used to only be for Hollywood stars. Everybody gets it now, right? And well, that's because there isn't a certificate of need. There isn't a government intervention. There isn't all these insurance pieces. And all of a sudden, all of that has come down. More people get it. So we have the same example, but on humans already here. Yeah, it is. it is. I'll tell you the other thing. I was in South Korea a couple times last year and, and, and the year before. And everyone's like, oh, well, they have single payer. But they don't really. They because don't, yeah. if you get in a car accident, <laughs> that's not covered. Yeah. They will cover your basic health care. It's almost yes. like a po- and it's a smaller population. And so to me though, I I just don't want the government to decide where I what health care I need. Honestly, right. I I need health care for a 59-year-old woman. I don't need health care for a guy mm-hmm. who is at a certain age or right. someone who has you know some kind of catastrophic illness and I think that's why creating a way that we can protect those people with pre-existing conditions, people who need the public health care system mm-hmm. and who can't afford. Some people have pre-existing conditions and they can afford it. Sure. But there are ways to make it work so that the system can cover everyone without having a government top-down system that Bernie Sanders proposes. Sure. So another issue, like I have this had this other concern about dealing with deductions. You know, when people talk about how you get a you know, benefits, you know, like, you know, for Social mm-hmm. Security and ha- having to deal with some of the other issues. I th- came up with this thing called the significant other benefits. Mm-hmm. So you could have that deduction on your taxes because think about your taxes right now. I'm single. I don't get to deduct anybody. I don't get the, mm-hmm. the, right. the marital deduction. You know, I know a lot of people uh, felt that they, you know, they didn't get the benefit uh, when, say, they before they had gay marriage and mm-hmm. you couldn't take any kind of deduction there. Well, I have this idea that I got from a friend of mine, and it was a tax guy, who said, called it the significant other benefit, that you could get everyone is the same, so we're not treated yeah, in, sure. differently on, in, in a different way on the tax code. Sure. I love it. So SOB is what it is. I like it. SOB, <laughs> so, I'm not sure. I like, that's a fine, yes. Yeah, Let me I grab mean, a call if a I lot, can. I mean, I'm just trying to, I mean, I don't know if it works, but I think it's a way of trying to make the system non-political, not getting into judging 
educating people mm-hmm. on what they're where they come from. But it's kind of a libertarian idea, but it also gives it equalizes the tax code because honestly, there's an incentive. If you're married or you can have a way to have deductions, you get you're actually in a better position than the rest of us who are single. Sure. Yep. So Okay. That's another aspect. I mean, I'm just trying to always think about other ways. Now, somebody might call it on your show and say, that's a terrible idea for these reasons, and I would be happy to take the feedback on sure. it. Sure. Let me let me grab a call if I could. All right. We're staying in New York. I don't know why, but maybe because you're here. So New York <laughs> and mostly upstate. We have Aaron calling from Syracuse. Wants to talk about defense spending. Aaron, are you there? Sure am, Larry. How you doing? I'm doing well. What's going on, my friend? Well, uh, I'm here in Syracuse. We used to be a toss-up district, changed Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, and uh, John Katko's had this on lockdown for a few years now. Okay. What do you say to moderate Republicans that just keep increasing the defense spending? How much is mm-hmm. too much to have the greatest and best military the world has ever seen? It's a good point, right? I mean, I think most of the time you find most Republicans, since probably maybe Reagan, I'm going to go maybe maybe even in, in maybe even Nixon have been really hawkish in the military and have really expanded the military. Democrats, too. But I think more Republicans are much more happy to, you know, if they're going to throw money at a project, it's probably a defense spending project. Right. That's probably where they want to go uh, on maybe foreign wars or more tanks, more battleships, more insert thing here. How do you decide what's the right amount of cut or Where's your? Where, how do you stand on that? I think there's a lot, a big difference between the in the military between supporting our troops, innovation, technology, the new kind of warfare that we're engaging in versus the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And and there's a there's a, a, a difference. And I I never really understood what that really was until I got into Congress and saw a little of it. I wasn't on the Armed Services Committee, but you have to vote on all these military spending bills. I also have a son who's a captain in the Marine Corps who has described to me, you know, the terrible state of decay of a lot of our uh, a lot of our forces. And unfortunately, we've been overseas in a lot of places for a long time. And I know that there's a lot of concern about how long we've been in mm-hmm. Afghanistan, you know, sure. which the president, you know, in good faith, tried to put an agreement together. And within 24 hours, they, you know, up in smoke. So uh, terrible situation. So it's it's a very comp. It's not the simplest question mm-hmm. to answer, but in my region we have what's known as the Air Force Research Lab, which is a well renowned, uh, world renowned uh, technological cybersecurity, a number of issues which are preparing us for the future. Whether it's cyber technology, uh, dealing with drones, dealing with a number of ways that we can reduce the cost of our military but make it you know uh, more efficient. Uh, less casualties, uh, whether it's on our side or or even dealing with civilian casualties in the rest of the world. So I think trying to repurpose our military to a more modern force, but you also still have to maintain, as you know, as a Marine, you can't just do everything from the air. Sure. And so I think there's a just, I I don't know what the right amount is. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've done a number of trips, you know, you go over to overseas and you always got the the colonel or the general, and they want to take you through and show you the troops, and then they always take you into the room with all the dilapidated. And we said we need new equipment, right? Know? Sure. So uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, people have said to me sometimes those are legitimate, and sometimes they just want more stuff to play with. Sure. So I mean, I I would like to think that our military, if you serve there, are a little bit more responsible than that. 
and that they know that we need certain things to keep our, our own soldiers and our Marines and airmen out of out of harm's way. So but let's go it's to hard a, to a, a know. I don't really then. know how I don't really know what how, the right amount is. No, you know I, I, mean? I got I, you. that's a hard question. How about the idea of the foreign wars, right? Right now we are I think we're engaged in some way, shape or form in about seven different countries. Some with troops in them fighting, some with Many drone more. strikes. We're, we're still in countries from World War II. No, I mean aggressive. Oh, aggressive. I'm sorry. Okay. Not, not, yes. You mean defensive. Yes. The, the president. technically not aggressive anymore. Te- uh, okay. But yes. I said technically yes. not aggressive. So about seven. We assist. Um, we don't engage like in the Middle East. I, I think if you look at how this began after 9-11. Uh, Bush was aggressive, but not as aggressive as Obama. Obama was more aggressive than Bush. And Trump has followed the Obama model when it comes to aggression. They've all been aggressive in about seven to nine countries, depending upon what time of day it is and, and what year it is. They've been either bombing in some way, shape, or form, actively supporting in some way, uh, some way shape, or form, drone striking in some way in about eight or nine countries, give or take, since Obama through, through Trump. Is this? But do you wait, have a view uh, on that? Wait, wait. I, isn't there a statistic that said the least aggressive in terms of going to war president we've had is Trump? Though, but no, I read he, that as in terms of like the number of engagements. Whether you look at Obama with uh, Libya and a number of areas where he, you yeah, no, no, Obama was more aggressive than both. But Trump hasn't really pulled much back. I mean, I guess maybe not Libya anymore. But I think we last in terms of pulling back. Last time we were still in doing terms of aggr- they, the word is like warlike or like you know aggressively going in. I think that's what the word. Uh, maybe maybe uh, one of the listeners possible. could call us and give us. I, I just read that somewhere that it was. I was surprised by it, but it's actually less. Yeah, I, I don't think Trump has been any more aggressive at all. And I mean, I'm at all, but I, he hasn't really pulled back much either. We, if that I remember, we're still bombing in Yemen. We're still bombing in, in either it's Ethiopia or is it Abyssinia? I forgot. One of those countries. When Somali, you say maybe. bombing, you're, we're supporting Saudi no, I mean, Arabia or actually other countries. Droning. I mean, okay. literally having drones, fire missiles and such. When I say bombing, I include missiling. When I say bombing, bombing to include missile drops. I think in Mali still, if not mistaken, I think we've stopped in Libya, still in Syria, if not mistaken, uh, obviously Iraq and obviously Afghanistan. So there are many countries we're still actively engaging in some way, shape or form. Is do you believe we should stop or not stop or are some okay as as Tulsi Gabbard often says the regi- regime change wars she's against or Bernie says all wars stop them or where do, where do you stand in that regard do you have a view on what is where we should be do you have a view either way well I'm not an expert in the military sure. I just can only comment on what I've seen and what I've learned and what I've been able to have access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, we live in a very unsafe world, sure. and uh, there's a lot of issues going around the country, around the world that I we do need to have some kind of sane presence in. Um, I do wish we could bring more of our troops home, mm-hmm. and I understand why Trump is determined to try to do that. But you can see, I mean, the Afghanistan is a conundrum. It is. I've been to Afghanistan a couple times. I've talked to our troops on the ground about it without having their officers there and having mm-hmm. to like have it, you know, frank discussions with them. And it, it, it is a very frustrating place when we've taken like women's literacy from zero to 15% in the last 20 years. I mean, there's a lot of things that I don't know if we're going to change a very old culture mm-hmm. in any short order of time or what, but I, but the idea behind it, which was always explained is that, Afghanistan is sort of a central location for all kinds of 
drug trafficking and other things that are happening around the world, terrorist cells and organizations, because they can easily hide in there. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. You know, the, the geography out of it is very tough. So, and it's been like that for for a long time. Absolutely. I mean, everybody loses their war in Afghanistan. It's called the Graveyard of Empires. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yes. it's so, so that is a-, a From a Alexander. Yeah, from, it's a complex place. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, you go, uh, so- you know, throughout all the empires, whether empires, the Ottomans, mm -hmm. uh, the Venetians, everybody's gone through all over the all over Europe and the Middle East and and where we ended up. So I don't know what the answer is to how to stop it. I know Aaron's like, where do you stop the spending? What yeah. do you know is the most important? It, it seems to me there is have, a lot right? of technology that we could use, but then my son tells me that you can't just rely on cybersecurity or drones. You mm -hmm. still have to have a force that's capable of dealing uh, you know, on the ground to some extent. And the question is where and where does it cut off? And, and, and you know, these, some of these countries are so complex. Absolutely. You know, politically. In Syria, we're on all sides. <laughs> well, Literally. In Syria, we're on all sides. So, we are, so is everybody. Exactly. Everybody <laughs> is fighting everybody who's defending everybody who's an ally to everybody. Syria is, is horrible. Yeah, no I matter mean, who you fight, you're hurting a good guy and helping a bad guy, no matter who you fight. Right. I mean, the, the Middle East is such a complex place, and sure. it's not going to get any simpler right now. So I, I what wish, about I, I, wish idea, I had a better answer for Aaron because I don't. What about the I idea don't know of just, of just walking enough. away? What about the idea of just walking away? What about that idea of saying Middle East, we've lost, we declare victory and pack up and leave? What about that idea? There are people who are saying it's such a quagmire. We're just throwing good money after bad. At one point, when did we just declare victory and walk away? When did we do Vietnam? We did Vietnam at one point, right? Put about 10 years, 60,000 dead Americans and hundreds of thousands of broken Americans. And we finally just said, we're out. We packed up and we left. At one point, we just left and we lost that war. Is it time, in your view, and I'm just asking if you have an opinion, that there are any country in the Middle East we should just go, you know what? This one's done. Is it Iraq? Is it Syria? Is it none of them? Is it Afghanistan? We just... It's Vietnam. Let's just walk away. I actually don't think any of those countries want us to get up and walk away, except maybe Iran. Okay. <laughs> so I think a lot of these countries are looking at us for our aid and our support, which from a libertarian perspective, you would say, hey, we, you know, why do we have to feed the, the world's poor and care for people in overseas? We've brought thousands of them here as refugees over the past 20 or 30 years. Sure. Uh, and a lot of them are grateful that they could have another chance at life, especially yep. here. So- uh, it, it's. A, I just don't think there's a simple answer that you can just pull out and, and abandon, for example, Israel or abandon uh, some of the progress we're making in some of these countries. Sure. So, uh, but I do think there, the policy that we're trying to implement, which you could argue maybe isn't working, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the Middle East, from what has been told to me, is that we are trying to assist countries in developing mm -hmm. themselves as opposed to coming in and fighting their war. Like, for example, in Iraq or, you know, when I, I was there, I had an opportunity to be in Iraq and also go to, to Erbil, which is up in the northern mm -hmm, end sure. in Kurdistan area. And we are in the background at the time we were. Mm -hmm. So at what point, you know, I agree, it just seems like endless because they, they're they going to continue to want our help and our right. training and our sophistication and everything that we do. And you have to ask, well, how does that impact the United States? Are is the United States safer? Is the, are we safer in doing mm -hmm. this? And I think that's a tough question. Okay. I'm not sure anybody. I'm not sure any general can answer that question. Sure. Okay. So, Aaron, are you still there? 
We lost uh, sure him. Am. Oh, there he oh, is. Excellent. There he is. Yes. Sorry I, about that. That was long-winded. We're kind of long. Sorry. But did that at least answer your question? It kind of did. I, I'd like a, to do a, a short little follow-up. Go ahead, please. If President Trump, if President Trump actually does uh, withdraw the troops from Afghanistan and we bring a bunch of troops home, do you actually think that's going to reduce military spending, or are they just going to find something else to spend the money on? Ooh, that's a good question. That's so, a good question. if we actually began to bring some troops home, let's say the next uh, deal he puts together works, right? For the sake of argument, the next deal works. We pull our troops out. The world's not ending in Afghanistan. We bring our troops home. Is the Congress disciplined enough to <laughs> actually – I know you're laughing, so I think we know our answer already, Aaron. She's laughing. So is the Congress disciplined enough to actually go, you know what? Let's save some of this money and, and, and do something else with it. Or is the Congress going to say, you know what? Yemen's empty. <laughs> Let's yeah. throw some people in well, there. Well, it's interesting. He asked if, if President Trump would do that. And so all spending and appropriations originate in the House of Representatives. So it's up to the House to do that. And the president can go in and reject it, mm-hmm. or the Senate could reject it, you know, by not accepting what the appropriations are. And that'd be one way of doing it. One of the big things that we talk about is the ability of us to cut off the funding. And I know this is something a lot of people don't realize, but we haven't had a declaration of war since World War II. Absolutely. So we've been continuing. was the know, last time we declared war. Uh, you know, we've been continuing and continuing. There's been, you know, what the War Powers Act was mm-hmm. uh, passed under Nixon, and it's under question. We just had another uh, vote on it back in uh, in the fall, uh, in the Christmas time or, or November area. I can't remember when that. That was Christmas hour time. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, yeah, will will the president say, yeah, let's let's pull? He's trying to pull troops out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you right now, a lot of people don't want him to do that, and they're they're melting down. And a lot of Republicans were very upset when he wanted to do that, when he wanted to pull the troops out of Syria. Remember that mm-hmm. whole hysteria with a lot of the General but, Mattis but, but quit? But let's say if he does. Let's, let's assume right. the next one he does, it works. It's the right deal, right? He puts the right deal together, and people come out of Afghanistan. I, what Aaron's trying to say is, do you think the Congress will be disciplined enough to go, good, no more. Let That's, that's gone. Let's not do any more. Right, which is what I'm saying. I think it's going to be up to the president to say, I'm not going to support that. We ju- we cut all those that $5, $10 billion appropriation there. I'm not going to ha- let you spend it somewhere else. Got it. I dare say if the Democrats are in power, it is definitely going to go to domestic spending. <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> so sure, yes. We will yeah. go back to uh, the type of spending where we give out uh, member right, what they call, you know, pork. Sure. Which is not being done theoretically Absolutely. right now. We could get into the state government and talk about pork, which oh my is God, it's horrible. out of control. Absolutely. Which is a big yeah. difference between the state government and the federal government sure. in terms of that. So did that answer your question, Aaron? I think it's got to be the president. Yes, that that, that actually did. Absolutely. Excellent. And the, Good. And the fact that especially if the Democrats take over, it'll just shift right over to domestic spending. Excellent. Thank you, brother. I appreciate Thank you. it. I appreciate it. Thank so, you. So that that brings two different issues up that I want to bring up next. And one of them, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting. You mentioned that so many of the people in the wars that we fought, we've allowed some of their um, of their refugees to come to our country, mm-hmm. right? Immigration, big issue, right? Should we build a wall? Not build a wall? Should we be having bans for people from different countries? Open borders? Close borders? Do you have a view on any of those things? Where do you stand on all those ideas? 
Well, it's interesting because I don't think we have a very organized plan in terms of immigration. And people seem to think that's a terrible thing. Why would you have a plan? But we have an economy and Mm -hmm. we have a society that relies on our Constitution, which guarantees us some things, freedom, Mm -hmm. individual rights, and the ability to protect ourselves, among many other things. And so when you have a government that is just bringing in people who do not necessarily assimilate and adopt our views, this is an experiment, if you will, the American society. Mm -hmm. You've got to have people that want to come in and live the the same way, you know, the e pluribus unum from many one. It's it's about all of us can live under one roof and, uh, and we preserve freedom in our constitution. That's what I think it really is. You can't have people just coming in, uh, solely to come in for uh, to create their own society here. We celebrate diversity and people that are come in and add to that whole melting pot of America, which is about freedom. And every person of every walk of life can enjoy and crave freedom, which is what we're about. What I'm concerned about is that we create these groups and enclaves that don't support our way of life and our constitution. And so I think that immigration is is important to continue to provide mm-hmm. people that can come in and work, whether it's our industries in our area. One of the problems that we have in upstate New York, because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and because of the low, rolling, rolling back regulations, is we have all these new jobs that need to be filled. They've been created. Now we need people to fill them. I, I heard when I crossed the state, I heard more than once people say things like, Larry, I will hire anybody with a work ethic. Anybody. Don't care what they're or anyone them. that we can teach him how to do something. Yes. And I mean, that, that one guy actually told me this. I love this story. He said, you know, here's my hiring plan. Mm-hmm. I tell them that the interviews at eight o'clock. I open the door at eight o'clock. If they're there, they're hired. That's literally what he said, because he was having trouble getting people to even show up. And when I told that story about a week or two later on the campaign, one person said, Larry, he's so right. He's like, I had 12, remember the story, he said, I had 12 uh, interviews scheduled this week. Six were no-shows, four were late. So only two showed up on time. Four showed up late, six didn't even show up. So I think it's, it is an issue. We do have a problem with trying yeah, to find people. people. And, uh, you've, and I think you, have a, you find a, a, an interesting push-pull here. You find a bunch of people who are saying, control our borders, no immigrants, control our borders, no immigrants. We don't want immigrants. We don't want that. But then out of the next part, they're like, boy, I need some people to work in my restaurant or people to work in my hotel or people to work in my cleaning service. And they will happily take people who are on my farm. And they will yeah. happily take people who are immigrants who are totally undocumented. Just They just, they just want the workers. And I think we find a, a, a real problem here, a, a desire to have the cheap labor, but a fear of, to your point, a fear of these people are coming and they don't really understand us. I think we have both of those, don't to we? To be honest, I have a different experience. I Tell have, me, please. I could probably count on one hand, so maybe five people who don't want immigrants to come to our country. They just want them to come legally. Mm, they want okay. them to come legally to live the way they did. You know, my father uh, came here, his family came here, his parents and his, they came as immigrants from other countries. Mm -hmm. And they were so grateful to come here to get a job. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were looking for. But we have a culture that people are not always looking for a job. They want to come and and, and, and enjoy what the taxpayers have. And I think what what the issue is that people want anyone that comes here and we want to have more immigrants come here, but we want them to understand something. 
citizenship has a value. It's mm-hmm. meaningful. It means something to all of us. And I, I find that it's interesting. Some of the newer immigrants value citizenship and, and the benefits of being an American and freedom more than some of the people who just took it for oh granted. Oh, my God. Far it's more. amazing 100%. how many yes. people I meet in my in my region, which is a huge refugee population, how many of them come in as refugees, some of them come in just as, uh, as immigrants looking for a job or whatever, how many of them are so much more grateful for mm-hmm. that value of citizenship and being an American citizen and the opportunity to be free. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it is really incredible. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I could tell you a hundred stories, but I'll just tell you one interesting story. I had a woman that was doing my nails. She happened to be Vietnamese and she was going back to Vietnam. And, uh, you know, she's a great person, really just entrepreneurial, trying to do her the thing, her, her business and everything. And uh, she was going back to visit a relative in Vietnam. And I said, would you ever move back to Vietnam? She goes, oh, no. And I said, why wouldn't you move back there? And she said, because I'm not free. Even though they're technically free, she yep. goes, I'm not free. Somebody at the government is watching, looking at me. She goes, we're free here. We really are for now. But <laughs> right, I mean, sure. so I just say, I mean, that is the, that was, I just like never really thought about that until you go somewhere else and you realize what it's not, what it's like to not be free. And it's so, funny so you think when that, you leave New York state yes. and you go to another state, Absolutely. And, like Tennessee or even across the border into Pennsylvania you feel like sometimes the oppression of government has been lifted off of you because of the yes. way that, you know, the the unwelcoming kind of oppression that that has been brought on by a lot of the overregulation that's Without going question. on in New York. Yes. And, so, so let me be clear about the immigration yeah. piece. So if I'm clear, yeah. what you're saying is you would like to create in your perfect world, you would like to create easier legal way of people coming here? Is that well, what I'm I'd hearing? Like to, I mean, I think that people, I, I'm a humanitarian. I mean, I know there are people, uh, for you know, they talk about the the DACA people sure. that have brought here, have been brought here. And a lot of them really do want to be accepted. They want to become citizens. And I'm all for giving them a path as long as we give the people who came here legally the front of the line. Mm-hmm. And as long as they can prove that the various factors that we voted on, and when we were in the in Congress, we had a bill. As long as they can prove that they are, you know, going to be hardworking, or they're not going to be dependent on uh, on public assistance, that they're not going to, they don't have a criminal background, and they want to come here and do what every other, you know, hardworking American does is to go out and work and and be raise a family or live their life in the way they want to live it. I, I'm all for that. And I think we could use immigrants to actually fill a lot of the jobs. Sure. I do think there's unfair advantages given to certain groups. And I think that I would just like to make it more streamlined and fair so that we're not bringing people in. For example, I know there's a lot of concern over a lot of the visas. We have a lot of people in the STEM field, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes. And companies are incentivized to bring in people from overseas to take those jobs so they can pay less than what we would pay all these young college students that are STEM majors Absolutely. who are being displaced because they're not getting the chance at those jobs first. So I just would like to see legal citizens uh, get their way first. I mean, and then consider some of those people. I mean, I remember one day sitting with the president of the United States at the Oval Office, him very concerned about the DACA kids mm-hmm. and wanting to find a way to help them. You know, he said, they're here. Let's figure out a way to solve this problem. Very practical solution. And so I think that there's a misinformation campaign out there Mm -hmm. that somehow people are against uh, people that are different or people from other countries. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's really the case. And I do think maybe with some people... 
But I think when people have a chance to meet them, to learn about other cultures, and I think in a place like where I live in Utica, New York, where we have such a huge diversity sure. of refugees who, for Somali, the most part, is that right? they're from everywhere. Yeah. Actually, Bosnia is probably Bosnia, our biggest. There we go, Bosnia. Yeah, yes. And mm -hmm. I lived in Yugoslavia, so mm -hmm. I love having all the Bosnians. They're wonderful. I can speak a little Serbo-Croatian with them and ah, Bosnian. And I actually, what you don't know, maybe some of your listeners, is I actually created the very first newspaper in Bosnia in Utica. Ah, there we go. Because of that. my past working for the former Yugoslav consulate. Uh, and I did that when I was, I was, Rita was asking me, what'd you do when you lived in New York City? I said, I worked for the Yugoslav consulate during the Olympics in Sarajevo, long before the war. There we go. So, uh, but, I, you know. Okay. Was, so you went to another piece. Let me go to the next yeah. piece you brought up. You brought the idea of, you know, getting benefits. There's, what, 60 some odd million Americans somehow getting Social Security benefits or Medicare, Medicare benefits. There's a lot of Americans getting benefits. It's a huge problem. Because now so many people are getting benefits, it, it, it's going to run out of money, right? You the said, Ponzi Am I supposed scheme, to answer this with OK Boomer? You could, yes. I guess. We're, <laughs> yes, I guess. We're both boomers. Yeah, yeah, we, yes, I actually could, don't know yes. how old you are. So, yes. so I think you're younger than I am, though. I am. Yeah, I'm 51. <sighs> yes, I am. So, yes. So the the question becomes, how do we handle that, right? You there, There's a point to where I'm sure everyone who cares about people wants to support people, but you don't want to make it to where now it's a welfare state. So how do you how do you deal with the issue that we've basically allowed people to be on the dole for so long? How do you fix that? How do you deal with that? How do you do you have a view either way on how do you deal with all of the people well, who are right now in that issue? It is. A, I think that we have an, a lot of uh, a lot of population in the United States. It appears that maybe don't prefer our way of life, and you certainly are entitled to your own way of life when you come here, as long as you you live up to your constitutional principles and you abide by the laws. You can pretty much do anything you want as long mm -hmm. as you don't hurt anyone. Uh, that would be very libertarian. Sure. But I do think there comes a point where it, it, there is a burden when you have uh, people that come in, when you have too many of them that come into areas that are not as economically viable. Sure. And then they have an overabundance of immigrants coming in. Well, no, so, I wasn't just talking immigrants. Right. I mean, even Americans. Or right? Americans. You have, you have Americans who are, are for example, massively who, overweight who now have to go on disability. People who have well, pre-existing conditions yeah. who now have to go on disability. Right. People who can't work. People who have injuries. People who are over 65. Insert thing here. I'm talking there are tens of millions of Americans who are receiving a government subsidy now. For a very uh, uh, lots of reasons, the, the the problem is we're running out of money, right? It's a massive entitlement. So, do you have a a view on how do we handle that issue? It's a massive issue that in the next ten to fifteen years is somehow going to come to a head when we have the aging population, people living longer, more people gaining entitlements, and less people able to pay. All those things. Well, we've got to figure out a way to have more people get back to work. Mm, okay, so. Uh, like in my region, we have a very large uh, refugee population. Uh, I think they've been, for the most part, they've been very helpful to our community. They've brought in, they've provided a lot of jobs to a lot of different industries that probably would have been able, had to move mm -hmm. had we not had some of the refugees to come in to do some of the jobs. Some of them are very high skilled. They're people that were accountants and lawyers who really did had language issues here, so they had to work in factories or did other things until they got themselves into their own businesses, especially a lot of the Bosnians. But I think that if you bring people over that are dependent on our society too much, dependent on the benefits, uh, on, on entitlements, when they haven't 
I think you're displacing a lot of people who have worked their whole life who are now may have their social security in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know where the balance is, but there's got to be some kind of balance. But then again, it looks like government getting in there and Sure. Regulating it. But sure. I think the immigration system but the, but they, is they were, trying to. There is an idea to, to raise the age of when you get Social Security. Right. Are, you, are you maybe into that idea? Like, well, now it's on 65, now it's 70, or now it's 67, or now it's 68, or any of those type of plans that people But you actually hit on another issue up. is that a lot of people are apply for their Social Security benefits early because yes. they have a disability or Absolutely. for whatever reason. So. Uh, but I think the problem is the burden on the system. There's so many people that are on entitlements in in so many areas that sure. maybe came into. We have too many immigrants in some areas. I want to say immigrants, like maybe the refugee population. Maybe they should be. Uh, maybe we should have a better plan for where some of these place people are placed, mm-hmm. uh, because some of the economically other areas that are either in economic downfall or economic uh, decline can't really handle a lot of that population. Sure. Where I I don't know what the answer to that is, but okay. it seems that there are people around. I I just I I feel like you've made a contract, you know. And like for me, I've been working since I was sixteen, and for some, you know, I think that there's solutions that you should raise the age. But I didn't make that contract. Oh, there we go. We so, have a we have a very good uh, comment for you. Yeah. Despite very big differences in my opinions, last principles, I really respect Claudia for coming on and being willing to take hard questions. And answer with mutual respect. Look at that. You got a good comment. Um, Thank you. Now I have a, a question. Um, why Why do you think the United States has taken on the task of presuming to be a savior of the entire planet? Why is it our business when we have more than enough business being ignored here in our own country? We have people that starve to death daily, who freeze to death daily, who have nowhere to literally live. You're talking about in the United States? Yes. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we have an altruistic society, and I, I, a lot of people want to help the starving children all around the world. They mm-hmm. feel like that's their obligation as human beings, and I think that if that's someone's mission, they should go and do that uh, competently. And but I fi- think what his point is, he he's saying, oh, she, he's saying it first. Why are as, we doing as that? a nation? Why yeah. do we think we have to go and to your point, right? You were saying we're we're in the Middle East, trying to help these countries become better countries. And I think his point is why, right? His point is why do that? Let's let's help ourselves be better country, a better country, versus trying to help the Iraqis or the Afghani's or insert country here. I think that's his question. Yeah, I think that uh, well, there's a number of reasons why we do that. Obviously, we want to try to. It's it's part of a, an overall diplomacy strategy mm-hmm. when you're working with other countries. You know, if you can keep their children from starving and and help people learn how to f- take care of themselves. I'm not sure we've been a so effective in doing that, that you will ultimately let them be more dependent. I'm not sure that always works. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we have USAID, for example. We go in with our, our aid and try to help starving populations. We go into all kinds of countries and try to help them as part of our diplomatic military situation. You know, when you're in the military, oh yes. uh, if you served overseas, you always have the diplomatic component to and everywhere you yes. go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's all part of the whole diplomatic scheme of it. Uh, and, and to try to help the countries in to be good uh, hosts when we're there or be good guests when we're there mm-hmm. trying to assist these nations. So I do think it comes from an altruistic uh, type of uh, mentality that we feel like we've got to save the world. I do tend to agree that we, there's comes a point where I would like to help my, the people in my community, which is why 
although I care very much about the rest of the world, I do like to focus on the children and the people and the vulnerable seniors and people in my area sure. who are suffering. And I think a lot of us want to help in that way. So I do, okay. you know, that would be, a, a, that's definitely a libertarian case to be made. Um, um, someone's asking, uh, do you support allowing crowdfunding for medical expenses to be tax deductible for donors, encouraging mm-hmm. voluntary crowdsourcing? The idea that, you know, I need an operation. Can I crowdsource it? If people donate to that, to my medical, to my medical um, problem or my medical situation, do you think that should be a tax deduction as a donation? Well, t- uh, medical deductions, there are, it is a tax deduction now. So no, for me personally, is, but like right. if, if I donate to you, right, you have a catastrophic a issue. A credit or a deduction? A deduction. Is a, the question is okay. deduction, right? Please, if you think credit's the right yeah. answer, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Whatever you think is appropriate. But the question was, I donate, she donates to you because you have a catastrophic issue. Right now, that donation to you is not tax deductible. The question is, do you think that should be for, to encourage crowdsourcing and to encourage voluntary helping? Do you believe that should be tax deductible? I actually like that idea. I think it's a great idea. It encourages more. It's 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 almost. I mean, obviously, it's not a five hundred one c three or sure. charitable deduction. It's technically a charitable deduction, but I certainly, if you could deem it to be a viable charitable deduction type of charitable medical deduction, I think mm-hmm. that that would be something I would that would be really interesting on the tax code. Well, in theory, because it's was kind true, of a hybrid of that. It is right. Yeah. So you you probably could, in theory, uh, maybe had the the crowdsourcing um, app that does it validate. It, it could solve a lot of our medical now. issues. Can yeah. you imagine if you could, I mean, if it could be regulated in some way to make sure it wasn't scammed, right? You mm-hmm. know, to have somebody be able to say, you know, I really want to help. A person who really who can't afford to, their medical costs. Yeah, I think it sounds like a very a very interesting idea. Well, it's like go. the SOB. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> significant yes. other benefit. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, another one um, asking libertarians, um, where? Uh, how do, how I, do you know they're libertarians? Because so, they're literally asking a libertarian line. Oh, okay. Yes, if they're asking a libertarian line, they're libertarians. Well, That's how, how do you I know. know that? Because, you know, like I used to go on that C-SPAN channel. They'd mm-hmm. have that open forum. Yep. And they'd have the Democrat line and they'd have the uh, Republican line. And I always got all the – the Democrats would call the Republican line and the Republicans <laughs> would call the Democrat line to try to confuse yes. you. Well, no, I don't have any lines. So it's all just right. whoever's coming in, right? I'm just, right. But I can tell just this Libertarian by what they're saying, right? Oh. Um, they're asking um, how can you help the Libertarian line not be squashed by the D's and the R's? Well, I think the libertarians should support more people that are like them. So I went online and did your test, mm-hmm. by the way. I'm also ClaudiaForCongress.com because Larry told me to keep saying it. Absolutely. So if you want to go check it out, I'm actually seeking the libertarian line because I decided when you were running and you got you finally got your line established, I used to see you at the at the a lot of the pro gun events and mm-hmm. gun shows and uh, you know, I like that. I thought it was great a great thing about you. And so I um, went online and did the libertarian test mm-hmm. on your face on your page, and I came out eighty percent libertarian. Look at that, eighty so percent! I love it. I think eighty percent is a pretty good number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I'm eighty percent libertarian, why would somebody not want to have me on their line when they could end up? You know, if they didn't, if they ended up putting someone middle of the road, you'd end up with a Brindisi who's a, almost hundred percent left wing liberal socialist. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't you rather have someone closer in values to to you know? That's why I think sometimes. The libertarian might be the only choice, but sometimes, you know, teaming up with it's not always the party, mm-hmm. it's the person. Sure. So but, I think that I, that's it. I know. think the worry is the worry is if 
the worry is that who you're going to be beholden to because you're carrying. But when you well, carry the banner that. of when you carry the banner of holding of of having a line. Um, you should be living up to a certain percentage of those principles sure. better than somebody else would. Yeah, the no, better I, candidate. I think the worry is um, if 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 some if if you if anyone not just you but anyone gets gets uh, gets elected right. that they won't care about the libertarian line after right they'd be like ah oh, I'll care about the libertarian line two years from now and if they don't exist whatever if they exist awesome I'll take advantage of it right I think what what many libertarians are concerned about is you know. Do right now most Democrats want to retain the working family party? Most Republicans want to retain the conservative party. Libertarians are worried. Does anybody want to retain us? I would love to have right? a libertarian. Does that make sense? I'd love to have the libertarian line and live up to my eighty percent that I took on your quiz. So you're going to support me for the libertarian line? <laughs> I love it absolutely. Thank but you. you see my point, though, right? Yeah, We're no, concerned I do. But so that here's people the thing. are going to uh, are not going to care about our line if it doesn't exist. But again, this is the thing. Again, we 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 kind of touched on this. The conservative line is not one and the same with the Republican sure. line, but it has the it's more it's more closely associated with the Republican absolutely. line. So people who the conservatives want to find someone who's going to be as closely aligned to them if they don't have a conservative in the in the race that's right. aligned with them that has the best chance of winning and instead of being in like a three-way race sometimes like for example my race i would love to have the libertarian line because i think a three-way race will give you a brindisi especially in a close seat mm -hmm. now if it's one of those so-called gerrymandered seats that we talked about in the beginning of the program where it's very it's going to be republican or democrat or whatever it's going to be Republican Democrat very clearly, then you know that that's different in a non-fusion voting state. But in a district like this, you know, a libertarian line could make the difference. I think because the libertarians tend to line up more with the Republicans, it would take votes away from the Republican, and you'll end up with the left-wing Democrat, which is what could happen. That's my, mm. you know, that's okay. my now that's my experienced political analysis of it, of what I've seen. You know, sure. that you don't want to have, if you're a libertarian, the last thing you want is a socialist uh, government control person on winning that seat. Okay. So I think that's what, but if you have someone that's not a government control person, like someone like me, who I, I'm all for less government. And I, other than maintaining and to be ensuring that we have a public health care system, that's mm -hmm. my big issue. Got it. Is there anything you want to talk about? We've got a couple minutes left. Anything you want to bring up besides your website? <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, first of all, thank you. And I hope you do run again and consider running. And uh, and maybe you'll get the Republican line to go with your libertarian possible. line. possible. Could happen. You never know what's going to happen Could in happen. the future. Because I think that we the Republican Party is going through a big change. We've got to have... We've got it. We've starting over. We're starting from scratch, and uh, we need to continue to move in our direction, which is more closely aligned with libertarians. Uh, but I would just like to say, what time are? Where are we? Oh, okay. we're done. We're done. I just want to <laughs> yes. say, no, thank you so much. This is like commercial free. Yes. Uh, but thanks to your listeners and to people for the questions. You know, one of the things about me is I am in this to try to tell the truth to try to help my constituents, to try to move our country in a better direction, my community. And I've done it with, at great sacrifice. I've had $34 million spent against me to try to smear and distort who I am and what I stand for. So I really appreciate you having on, me on the show to be able to honestly talk to people and answer their questions you know, in, a, in ways that I often don't get a chance to do because I get shouted down by yes. you know, the resist well, movement. To, to, be, to be forward, long-form podcast is the way with the future. This is the future, yeah. right? This is the, particularly the youth. The youth 
will will put this in their in their headphones and yeah. listen while they're on the subway and the train and the bus and the car. Right. And they'll listen constantly. We get yeah, thousands of listens every single show, thousands upon thousands. So this I is the I feel future. like I'm in like so. a, a bubble though with this headset on. <laughs> so All right. Well guys, thank yelling? you so much. I appreciate you guys listening. As always, thank, thank you. you so much for for being here. And of course you will see me next week right here on the Sharp Way. <laughs>